Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 34, We Had a Time. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around I'm finishing up my two-part look at a show that I consider one of the most important shows of the 1990s, and definitely one of the most important shows of my adolescence, and that's my so-called life. So last time around, what I did was I took a pretty in-depth look at the show, giving a little bit of history and going through every episode, plus giving you all my so-called origin story. And I ended by talking a little bit about the show's fans. What this episode is going to do is highlight MSCL and its fandom, because I've talked to the five people I've got on as guests, and I really have discovered how much this meant to people, and moreover, it reminded me that this was the first fandom I was ever truly a part of. Oh, sure, I had been a fan of quite a number of things before, but joining the list in 2000, when I was on the hunt for two episodes of the show to complete my run on VHS, introduced me to a group of people who shared an interest in a piece of entertainment. And not only that, a piece of entertainment that had been technically, well, finished five years earlier. I'm not an expert on the history of MSCL fandom, because like I said, I came in about five years after the show had been canceled. But a couple of things of note are that the listserv I joined, the so-called mailing list, was active since the show had been on the air, and technically it still is, although the flow of mail to said list has been, well, a very slow trickle in recent years. Not only that, from what I remember, the list was one of the uh, vessels for Operation Life Support, the Save the Show campaign that was truly the first internet fan campaign to save a television show. So there's a little bit of historical precedent here, and not just a personal history for many of us who have been in touch with one another for years, and in some cases even decades, as fans and friends. And that's something I really wouldn't find in any other area until I started following podcasts and podcasting myself about three or four years ago. Uh, the people I've met through podcasting, it's kind of felt the same way. We're all, there, there's a there's a friends and family aspect to, to these people who are, share a common interest and uh, are are very helpful and very great and and I think I I adapted well to the community as best as I can with with my schedule being what it is sometimes uh, because of my experience with the the listies and, uh, and, and being friends with many listies over the years so what I hope to get across through this episode is how it's something like this which was a television show about teenagers in 1994. And really, on the surface, it's all it was. But there is so much more to it. And something like this can have an impact. And I think it's cool to show how far the concept of fandom stretches beyond what's on the television screen each week. So I've got five different people all of whom were listies at one point or another, all of whom have a different perspective on the show. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with my first guest, and we're going to take it from there. So stick around for the uh, listy special, as it is. Try if you will, try if they will. 
My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. From there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comics or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. This one has a title. It's called a fable. Once upon a time, there lived a girl. She slept in a lovely little cottage made of gingerbread and candy. She was always asleep. One morning, she woke up, and the candy had mold on it. Her father blew her a kiss, and the house fell down. She realized she was lost. She found herself walking down a crowded street but the people were made of paper, like paper dolls. She blew everyone a kiss goodbye and watched as they blew away. And uh, we are back, and my first guest today is uh, somebody who has been a so-called life fan quite possibly from the beginning. She uh, is also uh, known for co-founding the late-lamented loved television site television without pity and is currently the east coast editor at previously.tv as well as having her own personal site tomato nation please welcome sarah bunting to the show how are you doing today sarah i'm great thanks so much for having me oh no problem um so you are one of the from what i gather in our our brief conversation before we went on the air here that you were uh, a fan of the show from from its beginning how did how did you discover uh, the show back in 94, 95, whenever, uh, whenever you did. I read about it in a magazine, which I think it was sassy, um, which will probably not surprise anyone, like very similar um, demographics there, I would mm-hmm. say. It's like famous original sassy. Wow. Uh, may have been, it may have been in a zine, ditto. Um, wow. But I, I read about it in print that someone recommended it was like the fall tv guide you know obscure shows to watch or something like that and uh i forget how i forget how they pitched it so that it 
it sounded like something I would like to watch. I mean, I loved at that time watching 90210, but like with the peanut gallery to make fun of it. Um, I just moved home from college. There were no jobs. This is 94. Yeah. Uh, I was working three different jobs in my hometown. One of them was for my dad and that was my life. And, uh, so this was like, you know, TV was definitely something to look forward to. And, um, I didn't watch, I really did not watch TV in college except like in the club TV room. Um, so being home and having like more than one television and not having to vote like a bunch of pinkos on whether you're going to watch movies or Star Trek TNG that we've all seen a million times where Picard is wearing some pink tie-dye thing and playing the flute in an alternate universe. No offense, that's actually a great episode, but you know what I'm saying, that yes, it was, oh my gosh, like the luxury, like I could just sit in the den and not be like annoyed by this and interact with this TV. And then my mom and my brother, who is five years younger than me, wound up having it be appointment TV. And then like we would get in these arguments about it on the commercial breaks because of course my mom is relating very strongly to Patty and mm. my brother felt like a Danielle where he's like, Molly's getting kicked out of rooms. <laughs> so that was my that was my first experience with the show. And the first episode, like it was it was so spot on with that one like kind of wild friends that your mom doesn't like she doesn't approve and she can't force herself to be nice about it and she can't articulate what the problem is and like everything about that just poisonous mother-daughter relationship that at the same time is very strong and trusting was perfect like just perfectly observed and I was like this is American television there yeah. wasn't anything else like that that actually like understood that that for a 15 year old girl that is your drama is like wanting to stab your mother repeatedly like she said so anyway i that probably answered more questions than you asked no no and how soon before um you did end up going online and and uh and finding other people who liked the show because i know you were a listy very early on i was a listy very early on i don't remember I think there was some, I was a CompuServe um, subscriber. My email address was like 10121.48pi. I don't remember. Um, but uh, I think it was one of those things where like I looked up, or CompuServe had a list on their front page of um, like list serves that might interest you, or like mm -hmm. here's a listservs for tv i can't imagine how else i would have found it because i mean what were the search engines back then you sent a dog to go fetch like the lycos ads lycos go get it i still say that to my kids. <laughs> black lab i'm so old listeners um so i don't remember how i found the list but i do i believe the show was still on yeah. so it was still airing but it was in some hiatus where it was clear that uh, then ABC programming honcho Ted Harbert, can't believe I still remember this name, that there was still, it was very much unsure as to whether it was going to come back. Rumors were flying around. Um, 
and nothing had geared up at that point in terms of like the postcards or people freaking out about it but it was still a thing where you would watch you would take a minute to process and then i would go up to my old room plug the phone line into my computer with the screechy modem noise and then like my inbox would just fill up and your inbox had like a maximum capacity of 100 messages just run through all of those and meanwhile it's downloading more and people discussing stuff like crazy um and you know it was like any online community it was very rudimentary then it's like worse code practically but there was still that there was so much to discuss there was this feeling that that we were like a secret society because there weren't a ton of people on the list and it didn't seem like there were a ton of people watching the show now I feel like it's much like more widely it's been more widely seen because I think MTV or I know a Canadian music station like reran it to death for a while. Yeah. Um but at the time it really felt like you know and it, it was also like paralleling an experience that I was having in my life feeling just kind of isolated from the world like back at my, you know, parents' house in Jersey and just shuttling to these part-time cataloging jobs and not knowing what was next or who I was going to be and you know, the internet was just being born. Like it was a it was a weird time in my life and it was the perfect time to have this list of like-minded souls who like instead of sort of thinking about how am I going to get a grown-up job with health insurance, I could get in arguments over who Angela would have picked eventually. Yeah. Brian, so yeah, um, I it, it is interesting to point out that you know it sounds sort of quaint that you're we're talking about um, CompuServe and, and 1994, 1995, and the sort of early days of, of email and the internet, and but because now um, I think just about any television show has a message board somewhere on some site where people are sniping at each other and comment threads name the science fiction show like you know doctor who or or still star trek and things and and it's so commonplace now but it was very unique back then because prior to that maybe before all before AOL, yeah, well, before CompuServe, there were bbs's that kind of catered to that stuff but that was an incredibly localized you know a few years prior and i think most of the bbs's my friends were on were computer programming and probably pornography but um but right. well and it very it was a very like um niche in terms of who would even know how to get to them yeah exactly be a couple of their friends yeah so this was like the beginning of being able to use i don't know arpanet yeah and and the and the yeah and the save the show campaign was one of the if not the first to use the internet to its advantage to to um to bug the uh to, to bug or harass or show support uh, for for the network to try to keep it on the air. So um, back then, it seemed like on some level you you did identify with Angela uh, the most. Was there any other character that you found um, particularly that you're particularly sympathetic toward, or that you you really latched onto back then? Um, Twenty years ago, I related to Angela, but I still found her like pretty bratty. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was not my favorite character. I did find her very relatable, I think, because she could often be so um, just adolescently 
self-righteous and her, you know, she's like, the karma in here is really dark or low. Or <laughs> and Patty's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And like, I used to get that look from my mother. Like, that's absolutely the kind of thing that you're like, girl, you're not helping yourself. <laughs> but I've gotten uh, that look from my mother. <laughs> yeah, I still get that look from my mother. <laughs> Bless her heart. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, like she was, she was definitely very credible, but could also be um, just difficult to difficult to root for yeah. sometimes. Um, I think my favorite main character, leaving aside the fantastic Amber who eats appetizers as meals, Amen Amber, uh, that's Rand's mom, listeners. Yeah. Um, uh, Ricky was my favorite character back then. Um, because he had this essential sweetness and also this like tragic, you know, this tragedy to his existence um, and his sort of developing friendship with other people who weren't Angela and Rayanne was mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to watch back then. Um, I loved that he like, Patty would walk into rooms and he'd just be doing someone's eyeliner, like, no big deal. And then I think he offered to do hers at one point and she totally considered it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he was this, um, he was this like light in the show. Mm -hmm. Also there was this darkness to his story. Definitely. And I think that the show, you know, the, cartoon uh lgbt people that you're still seeing to this day yeah um that they would have this character who is bi um or who is sort of telling himself he's bi because he doesn't want to commit fully to being gay because it's too dangerous yeah um and that he ends up being taken in by this couple who you see them interacting as a couple for seriously five seconds. Mm-hmm. It's like this complete, like it just falls into three dimensions that Mr. Katimsky is just turning light on and off. Um, and his partner's like, could you stop doing that? And Mr. Katimsky doesn't even look. He's like, nope, and just keeps doing it. And it's like, that is their relationship. And it wasn't this cartoony, like, what, you know, what about the day when we have to show them Frenching and yeah. <laughs> this total panic. Like I, I wonder if the network was paying as close attention as it could have been. But if you look at the parallel, like a couple years later, like on Melrose, which is a nighttime drama, mm-hmm. and you know, poor gay Matt and his back slapping hug relationships with like it, you know, yeah. Like, submarine captain i mean really guys. yeah i know <laughs> it's like i know just made it as penile as possible but yeah. never their faces shall meet kind of thing uh if you look at how um i mean nuance is not exactly the right word but just very matter of fact and not like scared or reactive that that portrayal of a bi teen or a sort of questioning teen is and Wilson Cruz is really amazing, and I'm a little surprised that he didn't end up getting more famous. I follow him on Twitter. I recommend. No, I, I do too, and he's um, he's still amazing, and he, he'll be in 
Red Band Society? Yes, I actually Fox. It looked like a piece of shit. And then yeah. I saw the promo and I was like, God damn it, Fox. Now I gotta try to watch it. I like that you bring up that you brought up the point about Mr. Katimsky and his partner or husband and an exchange between them that is so just every other married couple type of exchange. You know, could you stop doing that? Stop tapping on your why are you making that noise? Why are you doing that? You know, I've heard that quite a number of times in the last almost 11 years and but you're right it wasn't and neither of them seemed like a Katimsky was quirky but in that quirky teacher kind of way quirky not in the flamboyantly Jim you know, J. Bullock style yeah book. Jim J. Bullock that's the I, I was thinking of uh, Jack from Will and Grace as well yeah. who was meant to be a you know who was kind of meant to be that character contrasted with you know Will's very straightforward type of character on that show, but um, this is not a discussion of Will Grace. But yeah, I, I I I do agree with you. There was a straightforwardness to a lot of that that I don't think I'll fully understand because I'm not I'm not gay, so I was never struggling with that aspect of my identity. But I I definitely could see where that was why that was lauded. Yeah. Twenty years later, watching the maybe watching the show over again, or just thinking about the show and and from the number of times you've watched it, uh. Who do you find yourself connecting to or identifying with now? Um, I definitely, I never hated Patty, but I'm definitely, and you know, I don't have kids of my own, but mm-hmm. I definitely relate to um, Patty's frustrations as a as a parent, um, as a as an adult daughter who often has to be the responsible one as the breadwinning wife who feels like that gets her not respect, but Mm -hmm. this like ball busting label. Like I know that weekend is one of the most whatever universally disliked episodes of the 19. I think it's, I mean, it's often cringy, um, but I think it's really a great, like window into what it's like for a high strung type a woman who's trying to please everyone and is actually doing a pretty good job but gets kind of no credit for it um just having a whatever the ginger flavored brandy <laughs> down and getting kicked out of this bed <laughs> hangover and then, meanwhile, back at the house, it's like 76 trombones while they're trying to, like, take the bed apart and put it back yeah. together. I don't know. Like, through, through the eyes of a 10-year-old girl, though. Right. Which, which makes the episode where I... Yeah, yeah which I'm is like, another thing that makes it great, that it's like, Danielle has seemed sort of superfluous up to this point. And, yeah. you know, she was, but... Like, occasionally she gets a great line, like, do we have to talk about religion? religion. <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> And you're like, that's a little on the nose, but yes, she would totally totally say that. Yeah, I've been wondering what would have happened with her character had the show gone on for a few more years and how she would have actually developed into a teenager and would it have been different? Would she ended up being more like, say, Sharon or or something like that as uh, as she went? And I actually, you're the other person who likes Weekend as (laughs) much as I do. Because I really like, I mean, it is... I jokingly in the last episode described it as the most saved by the bell of all the episodes. 
at least the Danielle part of it, the kids part of it, because it is everybody in the same place solving some sort of farcical problem, you know, and, but at the same time for a show that's told from the point of view of a 10 year old, this, it's totally appropriate in my mind. And it's that, that's what makes it, that's what makes it fun for me. Yeah. Um, And I also, I mean, I think my, I, I spoke about this when I was writing about, um, like the sad origami swans that Patty is making (laughs) our eating bed and breakfast chocolate. Yeah. While she's also doing a slow burn about the fact that they said they would be back at a certain time and they aren't. And her, her plan is all, you know, fucked into a cocked hat because of that. And like Graham is having more fun with them than he is with her. And they got stoned and she feels excluded. And it was like, there was just something about like, you know, being the responsible on time one who still cares about thank you notes. Like you realize that it's irrational and that you can be happy or you can be right. But I, you know, like mm-hmm. I get, I totally get Patty now. Um, but I think I think Ricky is still my favorite character. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's very close between him and Sharon, who really like has the best. I would say growth arc over the course of the series and yes. weekend where she's like, what we are walking by the sex store. I don't know. The, um, so, and, I, yeah. and it, something I've said several times over is that Devin Odessa has this mastery of the reaction. Yep. The, the eye roll, the, the, it's just, it's, it's almost perfect. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Yeah, and, uh, I think twenty years later, like everyone sort of goes through some things and you know has kids of their own, or it spends more time around their friends' kids or their nieces and nephews, and um, the the sort of balance of narrative power shifts for you. I think after twenty years of life on Earth, yeah, the credit to the show that like. Angela does seem a little more sort of whatever clueless in her brattiness, but she's still not completely unsympathetic. No one is. You just start looking at it from a different standpoint. So I think that's a, I think that's the best thing you can say about a show that despite all of the like green gap plaid and high waisted jeans, it's actually held up pretty well. And then you get to kind of completely rewatch it from a new perspective and, and see how it fares. So, but even the, it it just, on a side note, you could talking about the, the only other show that really was on at the moment and popular was nine to two and oh, and the fashion in that has not aged well compared to what you see here. I mean, maybe it's just me because I, I look at the halls in the school there and it looked like my high school. Um, my high school wasn't as tough. I, I grew up on the South shore of Long Island in a, you know, nice little kind of alcove type of neighborhood. But at the same time, you know, I remember seeing a lot of flannel and guys with walk long hair walking around with dirty jeans and like, you know, Ramones and Metallica t-shirts on. And, and it was not as, um, it didn't seem as, as, right off the sort of polished look that that like a 90210 had even in during those years yeah and that aged poorly immediately as a result because it was so trendy whereas i had a brother in high school when this was airing and this is what he and his friends who were in a band were wearing like the flannel over ramon's t-shirt just jeans and chucks 
because that's what you wear. Like, you don't wear this, you know, you don't go to Rodeo Drive and buy whatever is supposed to be in. Like, And Cavaricis had gone out of style by then, thank oh, God. Yes. I'm from Jersey, and we, we had yeah. a similar dark night of the dead soul with those. <laughs> Um, did you have a did you have a favorite episode? Um, do you have one that that even if you're not going to watch the whole show all the way through, that you would you're like I want to watch the show? Maybe I'll, I'll put this one on. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess. And it's not. I mean, I think people tend to gravitate towards the end of the series because mm-hmm. there's so much going on and like the you know rehearsal of our town and everything. Um, those are not. I mean, they're it's brilliant tv respect but they're not my favorites Mm. i just remember feeling so like emotionally wrung out like thank god there was no way to fast forward through commercials back then because you needed to rest like there's really a lot happening um so i would say other people's mothers is probably the one that i think fits in the most um like my so-called elements Mm -hmm. And has that wonderful moment where Angela's like, I know what to do. And like, it's a, I think it's Patty's finest episode that she would, that scene when they're in the car and she's explaining about her roommate and she just says, you know, she died. And Angela's like, I need to rescue Ricky from the relatives. So she goes in, in her hilarious, like post Stevie Nicks, try hard fringe-a-thon outfit, which... (laughs) It being Claire Danes, she almost pulled it off. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and Ricky's like, hmm, th- there's curry in the turkey. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the only the only downside is that, of course, you know, Grandpa is completely declined to come to the party, which is yeah. kind of stuff and that sets all this off. But Paul Dooley really looks like my own dad and is sort of reminiscent of him. And ever since 16 Candles and Breaking Away, I've sort of been like, oh, it's, you know, famous dad. Yeah, exactly. John Noble is British famous dad. Um, so now everyone knows what my dad looks like. And, <laughs> but I think other people's mothers, you know, you have some comedy, you have some insight into how teen things get out of control. You have, I think, maybe Rayanne's sort of emotional, like, journey is not super deep but it doesn't really doesn't really matter you have like there's a lot of different like emotional vectors happening and then patty just breaking down in the car at the end for like 100 different reasons all of which Bess armstrong manages to get in without chewing the scenery yeah is really is really amazing that the thing that she's doing as a bookend that like Angela Vio about the tarot cards mm-hmm. is not good. But now and then, you know, it's like Graham's line about Patty having that one zit in college or in high school that was like a rose having a thorn. Yeah. I feel like my so-called life sometimes has to have these like clanky moments so that you're not like overcome with with it all like you're just watching halloween like this what is she wearing this is dumb this i'm I'm not the biggest fan of that episode either cheesy my favorite part of that episode is sharon and and danielle yes her imitation of of angela is so hilarious and then sharon kind of being like 
why do I have to do all this crap? Let's go trick or treating. That it's really cute. And I throughout the show, uh, something that I I didn't see when I was seventeen, but now at thirty seven, see a lot more is the chemistry that Bess Armstrong and Tom Irwin have throughout throughout different moments of the series. Of you know when he makes fun of her for having you know that one zit in high school and, and things like that. You know there there's a sense that they've been together for a very long time that that yeah. not all couples on television are able to pull off relationship you're right and he i still think is is attractive and he um has since shown up on various iterations of law and order always as like this complete cretin and i'm like but that's graham chase yeah he was a he was a um a hired guy um on the last season of lost oh yeah he was he he shows up he's it's like a you know a secondary tertiary role but it's like he's one of the um back in the real world people who's uh, I, I have not rewatched the show since it went off the air but i want to say he was like one of Char- charles widmore's hired kind of pi guys to kind of look in and intimidate somebody um you know uh or or question somebody on something you know the guy in the black suit who shows up at your door and has a few questions for you from this mysterious person who's hired him type of type of character yeah, he's never been really. I mean, I'm sure there's evidence to um, to countermand what I'm saying, but mm. um, or not countermand. You know what I mean? Contradict. Yeah. But um, yeah, I feel like whenever he shows up, I'm like, hey, it's it's Tom Irwin and all yeah. his you know mustards, and then he's always like sort of like he brings the sort of semi cheaty part mm-hmm. of Graham um, and. Then also sometimes like a little jewel heisty part that you didn't see. Like it's never like good parts of Graham. It's always yeah. like just like a schmuck at best. So that's too bad. Yeah, I've used the pilot episode in my English class, and um, I've had a few students who find the scene, the everybody hurts scene, one of the more gut wrenching scenes of that episode because of like how it kind of brings like a real character to Graham to Angela and how she's just her image of him is completely blown at that point because she sees him talking to another woman. And, and uh, we've had conversations about, about that in class and, and stuff. And, and uh, I've, I've gone back and forth on really liking his character and wanting to smack him across the face and like, you know, telling him to get his shit together. Um, yeah. But that would be presumptuous of me who doesn't always have his shit together. So, <laughs> Well, and that's, that's another example of someone who you watch it again and certain things really come out to me more, you know, having struggled within relationships as an adult with some dudes who like, I guess thought they were fine with or wanted to be fine with a fairly direct bossy Mm -hmm. lady who has been running her own business for a long time and has a, you know, like I'm not Beyonce over here, but I'm known for what I do ish. And they think they're all cool with that. And then after a while, and they hate this about themselves, but they're like, yeah, I don't, what do you need me for then? Like I'm having this sort of existential crisis about what I bring to this relationship. And I'm like, well, you're the boy that's <laughs> like we love each other high fives so 
seeing him through more through the lens of Patty or mm-hmm. more from Patty's point of view, he's both much more like he has more dimension, but it's mm-hmm. also that much more frustrating because there's this guy who's sort of like, he's a nice guy and he wants everybody be, to be happy. But it's yeah. like, Patty tells him like, Graham, grow up, pick a side. Like, He's very frustrating, but that's another instance where I admire how fully he's written and how much of it isn't written, and they just sort of let you decide what you're going to think about it. And Yeah, yeah, because on some level he's self-sabotaging because he's talented, and yet it's like... It's like he he almost secretly wants certain things to fail because if he succeeds... It'll be like she's right about something. It's it it's hard to explain in words the yeah. feeling you get when. But I think they explain. I don't know if it's him or Angela who's like, I don't. I mean, I know Angela has that line. I think in the pilot where she's like, it means way too much to my mother to eat a balanced meal. Yeah. So by not eating it, it's like I'm controlling the situation but i think Mm -hmm. also has a line later on when he's taking the cooking class and he's like part you know it means too much to you to be right about how great i am why can't i just be myself i can't remember where it is or what exactly he says but yeah they do make it explicit that he's like there's this fear of success thing happening with him that yeah he's aware of but he seems powerless to you know, nut up and and just be whoever he's going to be. So yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it keeps it keeps giving this show. I think. So how um my 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 listeners will can relate to um taking a look at a piece of media and going over it with a fine tooth comb uh, and 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 kind of beating it to death. You recapped the show, um, or I think you said you did about maybe about a third of the recaps of the show back when Television Not Pity was was still around. Does that how does that change your perspective on on instead of just sitting back and watching the show as a fan and maybe talking to other fans to actually being a a, a writer and a critic of the show in in some in some manner and in a more official manner? Does it how does it change your the way you, you view the show or, or any show? really just um well it really it really didn't because i think that my so-called life is why like this is a big part of why i do what i do now is that early experience of um getting really micro about a show um on in the virtual space and that that experience of participating in the show via the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. It's technologically different, but what we were doing, people still do today. It just doesn't take 20 minutes to download four emails. Yeah. (laughs) But um, so since this show was like the sort of um, like ground zero experience for that, for me going back to recap it, um was i mean it's time consuming because there's a usually a lot happening like there's some episodes that are like you know it's pretty straightforward and there's a lot of or there's a lot of garbage time like halloween whatever i can mm-hmm. just right through that uh strangers in the house is a good episode that i really yeah. like it's really backloaded so the first 30 minutes you're kind of like okay and then this happens and then they're in the hospital and whatever 
Um, but it didn't affect, first of all, there wasn't, it wasn't on long enough. Like mm-hmm. sit with something like, especially something mediocre that's trying to be my so-called life, like Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. And you have to hate everything about it. That like creaks, Kate Todd, <laughs> apostrophes, um, anyone named Joey, including <laughs> Fridiani, that you just, it starts to wear you down because you're obligated to point out you know, good things when they happen, but mostly how like fundamentally cynically terrible the show is. Yeah. You don't have that problem with my so-called life and also it didn't last long enough for that to be a factor. Um, and there is some pressure because you know, the show is very well regarded and closely studied to make sure you get everything in there. Mm-hmm. But the show also like it's, it's a well-built show. So for most episodes, like, you're saying what happened, and then at least for us, and um, I forget, I know Tara Ariano, my uh, esteemed colleague, had previously covered some of them. Wendy McClure um, mm-hmm. covered some of them. Playwright Edomar Moses wrote for us back then, and he did some. And it became this space to like reminisce for us about how we got into talking about TV online, where we were in our lives at the time how old we were and what how we were plugging into it based on family issues that we were having or what have you so you know the show that's what the show creates so there are a lot of shows that you're like i i would really prefer to just sit and watch it like rectify which is on right now mm-hmm. beautiful show and you know i'm functionally recapping it for it's not a recap we call it something else okay but it's a similarly close reading it's just much more visual and with more jokes um Mm -hmm. but it's like i get to the end of it and i'm like i'm proud of this work and i think i i think i got everything but i i like watching the show is not necessarily enjoyable and my so-called life like it holds up to that scrutiny i don't think it subtracts any air from the show i don't think it subtracts any enjoyment from just watching it uh but you know it's hard to say because i was watching it as it aired and then i owned it on vhs now i own it on dvd and Mm -hmm. could stream it it's somewhere in one of my queues God forbid I not be able to see it at any time. Yeah. <laughs> I can recite some of the episodes like basically from memory and like I'm out of the room and I'll be just like narrating it like a closed caption and my husband who could give a shit. It's like, <laughs> like this is twisted. Like I knew you could do this with Goodfellas, but this whole show, I'm like, this is why I do this for a living. Is the show like, yes, this show. Um, so... Yeah, no, I don't, and I don't, I think it's partly the show and partly my own experience. I think some people might answer differently that um, having to do that kind of a, almost like, you know, that granular close read is like, mm-hmm. now I now I am done with this episode and I can't anymore, but I didn't have that experience, so. Excellent. Well, well thank you again for uh, for coming on. And, oh, thanks uh, so much for having me. I hope I didn't uh, blather on too long. Uh, no, it was excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, where can where can people currently find your uh, your writing and 
and, and everything else. Uh, write about TV, including all the shows I've mentioned, and my so-called life still, sometimes, at previously.tv. And you can also follow us on Twitter at previouslytv. And on tomatonation.com, the last general blog on the internet, I have an advice column and I write about cookies and books and um, nail polish and all manner of other jetsam. Um, and if you're really into food that's disgusting, I also have a Tumblr called Revolting Snacks. There are videos involving setting marshmallow peeps on fire. Don't try this at home. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um... And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with another guest. and I missed him. Oh, honey, we're talking gorgeous. <laughs> I can't believe it. I missed everything. What is he like? Oh, you know. No, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Well, I don't know. He's a, a kid, you know? You're asking a man, sorry, sorry, to describe someone when I'm sitting here? Here's what he's like. Fairly out of it, not unintelligent, sort of, um, stray puppy. You know, the type you're always trying to ease their pain. He may even be a halfway decent person, but let me tell you, trouble. Way too gorgeous. Thank you. And we're back. Uh, joining me now is a person who I've met and gotten to know as being a part of the uh, so-called mailing list, I guess is the best way you can phrase it, and she's been on the mailing list way longer than I have, having joined, she told me, uh, before we before we got on, since uh, late 95, 1995, uh, which means she's been on the list for 19 years and uh, has, in a big sense, at least she was saying, kind of grown up with with the show and, and with all of us listees. Uh, please welcome uh, Corey to the show. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm well. Cool. So um, we were talking a little bit before we kind of officially went on the air here about um, your experience and, and <clears throat> finding the show. And the first question I've been asking is, you know, how did you find the show? Or as I've been phrasing it, what's your so-called origin story? Yeah, so I had seen commercials um, for it. We did not have cable um, in 1990. Like, we didn't have a remote. It was like a, like a big, giant, clunky, like... I think it was in color, sort of. It got, like, four channels, maybe, if you move the rabbit ears the right way, kind of TV. And um, we never watched it, really. But I had um, but I had somehow seen commercials for this show that was coming on. And I really was entranced in the way that 11-year-olds are sort of entranced by teenagers in general. Mm-hmm. This was before, you know, of course, 1994 was before Dawson's Creek or... Buffy or the the sort of regeneration of teen shows. There yeah. were no 
shows about teenagers on the air in 1994. And so I was immediately interested in it. And um, somehow that night, I remember that it was on or I, you know, um, was able to get the, the rabbit ears exactly the right way. And I saw the end of the first episode as it aired live the first time. I, um, I turned in on as they're in the hallway at the end and Rihanna is saying, didn't we have a time? Mm-hmm. And I remember it with just absolute clarity this, you know, fuzzy picture and this, you know, Rayanne was like this siren to me as an 11-year-old, you know, um, didn't we have a time? And I, uh, I was completely hooked. And then no matter what was happening, um, I was in front of my TV watching it as it aired every week. Cool. In those early, since you were 11, as opposed to um, well, me being 17, uh was there who did you gravitate toward in terms of a character? Who did you connect with back then the yeah, most, do you think? I wanted to be Rayanne, but I felt like Sharon. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be this kind of cool wild child who, you know, followed the dead and I actually wore um mismatched earrings for years. Um because I, I wanted to be Rayanne. Um, but I inside, I felt more like I was sharing, you know, I, people, my friends were getting cool without me, and I didn't really understand why. And, you know, I wasn't, I was just trying to do the stuff that I'd always done, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of yearbook kind of stuff that I'd always been involved with. And all of a sudden, you know, everyone around me was like, listening to music I'd never heard of. And, you know, having experiences that seemed too old for me. So, yeah, um, I wanted to be a Rayanne. <laughs> it really, I was really a Sharon Chersky. I, I've come to see that uh, Sharon's kind of an underappreciated character on the show <laughs> in a big way because she, for the reasons you, you listed. And I think she's a real experience that, um, you know, I mean, we always hear about my so-called life, and we always talk about my so-called life being an experience of teenagehood that you don't get to see often. But I do think that you you frequently have a story on television, not as well done, but you frequently have a story of sort of a young girl coming into her own and breaking out of her box and, you know, deciding which boy to love and, you know, making new friends. Those are, you know, Angela's story is one that you see as a as a general art fairly regularly yeah but this idea that part of what makes my so-called life better and different than other shows is that she doesn't her old friends aren't boring and awful and stifling she is you know her old friends are actually really supportive and know her and 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 like who she already is and two friends are also wonderful there's not like a moral of that story Mm -hmm. except you know, it's not an after-school special about, like, you know, don't forget your old friends or, you know, make new, better friends. There's no after-school special message. It's just sometimes as you grow up, your relationship with the people you've always known changes, and sometimes you don't keep it, and sometimes it becomes a new, better relationship. Yeah, which definitely happens by the end of the show because there's a sense that by in episode one, 
Angela and Sharon are by aren't really you know they kind of break up so to speak, and within the first few episodes they're not talking to each other at all. But by the end of the show, they're friends again, just on a different level. Uh, yeah, and Sharon is able to be friends with Ricky and Rayanne mm-hmm. uh, and have a real supportive friendship with both of them without sort of throwing herself bodily into their lives and losing herself in the way that Angela is sort of prone to do. Mm-hmm. I think she just has her feet on the ground in a different way. Um, because, you know, that at the scene where she and Rayanne are talking about how Rayanne is with men and Sharon tugs on Rayanne's braid and all squared. You know, that, that relationship that the two of them have is very real, and I think it's really important to Rayanne. Um, but Sharon's able to kind of keep herself and her center in a way that we don't often see teenage girls be able to do, and I think that those teenage girls really exist in the world, and we don't necessarily see them reflected in media that often. Yeah, and I always get the sense that I've gotten the sense because I've been rewatching the show and I've got about and at the time of this recording I have three more episodes to go. Um that the confidence that Camille kind of exudes mm-hmm. or the, the the confidence that Mary Kate plays plays into Camille probably rubs off in a big way on Sharon cuz if you look at Angela and Sharon and you look at Patty and Camille it's like they had the wrong daughters yeah because based on on the conversations that patty and camille have about when they were kids in high school it's like patty should be sharon's mother and you know if if you're matching things up exactly and well, patty doesn't really know who she is you know and that's part of this journey of the show she cuts off her hair you know she fires graham from his job she's trying to deal with her parents and and reinvent that relationship she wants to learn to ballroom dance like those are, she's trying to figure out who she is, and Camille really already knows. And and I think that that's probably reflected in their daughters as well. So do you, so looking at the show 20 years later, is there, and I don't know how, how recently you've, you've watched the show, this is the first time I've watched the entire show all the way through since, God, in at least seven or eight years. I, um, I, I started to rewatch and, and then life happens. Yeah. <laughs> um. Do you find yourself connecting with a different character? Or do you find yourself having a deeper appreciation for certain other characters? Um, so this is scary. The person to whom I am closest in age now is Hallie. <laughs> and I sort of get Hallie now. Like, and this, I mean, this is just such a testament to the way that the show is written and, and acted. Mm-hmm. But. I sort of get that she's a woman who is, she's probably a little bit older than I am, but you know, she's probably all of her friends are married. Um, and she's, you know, engaged to this guy who she, you know, likes well enough, but um, is maybe not madly in love with. And, you know, she's kind of feeling the pressure to, to get married and, and do that life thing. Um, and she's like a little too much. Yeah. Personality wise all the time. And she meets somebody and she, does not like by nature an immoral person and she's not going out to try to like ruin anybody's marriage. She just finds herself really drawn to like a slightly older guy who seems like he is really passionate about cooking. And, um, you know, she thinks that she can have like a business and friendship relationship with him. And 
is convinces herself that that's something that's going to be okay. And it's not. Yeah. And, you know, I see Hallie as someone whose internal life is kind of not where she wants it to be. And so she's just externally like trying too hard all the time. And I get her in a way yeah. that you would not have. <laughs> as Lindsay and I was like, that bitch. Because <laughs> she's, she's so irritating in her first couple of, couple of episodes. But she's, you know, you when she's she goes find the restaurant with the fountain, like she is just trying to find a life that she's passionate about that means something to her. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't want she's she doesn't want to marry Brad. Like yeah. nobody marry Brad. And, and and when when you've got that one scene where, and of course it's raining whenever they have a scene like this, but she's in the restaurant. She tells Graham that Brad broke up with her you kind of get because they brad like has like one appearance in the show and and i don't think you get much of, of his personality he's kind of just window dressing for that particular scene where they're having dinner at graham and patty's house but i get the feeling from having because i just watched that episode that she always mentioned him and maybe it was her way of kind of being in denial of the fact that, like you said, she wasn't necessarily head over heels. I'm absolutely going to marry Brad. Right. You know, like if I if I talk about him enough, you know, Brad has a theory. Brad this, Brad that. I'll convince myself. But it's this it, great it's, love. Instead yeah. Of, you know, I think of Brad as kind of window dressing in Hallie's life too. Hmm. You know, like she's supposed to have a fiance because she's like 35, trying to get her shit together. So. Yeah. Get a fiance, but like he's just such a Brad. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's such a Brad. <laughs> so having on having on through the show, and like I said, um, even if we haven't watched it uh, in a number of years or, or rewatched it, and I know there are more. Ep- there are some episodes that I rewatch way more. more than others. Is there what 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 one episode do you find yourself like? What's your favorite episode, or what is the episode that you always tend to come back to? When, but it's uh, funny because the, the episodes I rewatch are not necessarily the ones that hit me the hardest. Mm-hmm. In the, like, there are some episodes, um, and this is true, I think, of, of my few like favorite, favorite ever shows, that there are some episodes of them that are too hard to watch regularly, mm-hmm. too emotionally like real to me. So the ones that I watch, the ones that I watch a lot are um, Guns and Gossip and Halloween, I think. Interesting. Um, I love the Halloween episode. People hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it. I, I will say though that it is my least favorite. But then again, don't take my opinion. Don't take my opinion too seriously because I actually really like um, Weekend, which I know yeah. is another one episode that people absolutely hate. And I, I just like the I like the parts of of Weekend that are um, the kids, not the. I don't think the adult storyline in Weekend is very very well done. But I like the whole Danielle's narration of everything. I just found that clever. But yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Halloween. Guns and Gossip, I said in the in the last episode, um, is is a good episode, but it's definitely the most Degrassi high. It is uh, the most Degrassi of episodes. I, I think that it's so early on, you know mm-hmm. that that scene where Angela and Ricky are sitting in the car. Yes, I think is one of, is the scene. I was already hooked on the show by that point, but I think it's the scene where I kind of knew, and every time I rewatch it, I know. But this show is not any other show. Yeah. 
the way in which they allow Ricky to kind of talk about being bullied and fear is not is very not Degrassi. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like you should have a scene with kids sitting on the car during the while it rained outside, but you wouldn't that 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 raw emotion that Wilson Cruz brings mm-hmm. is um unlike anything else that I had ever seen on TV at the time. So the episode that's actually my favorite, but I don't rewatch very often because it's really hard for me to watch is other people's mothers. I love that episode. Um, <laughs> but that is a tough episode. It is. It's to emotional. watch repeatedly. By the end, I just feel like I got, you know, rung through the, I just can't, I'm, you know, I'm just in, in pain physically yeah. from it. So I, I don't rewatch it very often, but, um, I think that there's something, again, you know, speaking of after school specials, you know, you get um, characters with, with drinking or drug problems in other mm-hmm. shows, you get characters who are sexually active, maybe younger than they ought to be, um, and you get characters whose parents are emotionally absent or, you know, party parents or whatever, but the depth with which that episode kind of deals with all of that where you you see amber wanting to be a good mom and just not understanding on a really basic level how to be a mom yeah um and like it's not just you know amber's this villain because she can't you know mm-hmm. she loves drink beer and have sex and you know yeah. They all have in their refrigerators appetizers. Like <laughs> I remember if that's in that episode. I just remember it's it, Yeah, there it's in like two episodes. It's like there's a line in there that she says about how you only need appetizers and desserts, and then I think it's a later episode where Rayanne complains like can't we just have like a normal dinner or something? I feel like it's it's right before she's supposed to sing with frozen embryos. Yeah. Okay. Um, my 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 so-called life timeline is not always. Um... Mine's mine's a little fresher from rewatching, but I think one of the things that that I've noticed um, in that that after-school special kind of side of it, um, or the very special episode side of things, because we get that in so-called angels, which I still still think is one of the best hours of television I've ever seen. Is that is that these things. I think the thing that makes it for me is that they're all happening to the main characters of the show. Cause if this were say Beverly Hills, 90210, which is really one of the only, if you don't count say by the bell reruns, it really was the only television show geared toward teenagers at the time on network television. The, the overdose of the party, the, the homeless being homeless, the gay character, these would all be tertiary characters that you could write out if you needed to within an episode or two. Right. You know, like the, the episode of Saved by the Bell where Zach meets the homeless girl at the mall, you know, and she's never seen again. Or um, the, the, the 90210 episode where like the kid, the kid who had been in the first season that had been basically written out, like blows his own head off because he's playing with the gun or something as the issues episode. I mean, by the bell, you know, um, what's her name has a has a speed addiction, <laughs> and then it's done, and she never has a relapse. You know, like yeah, it's but looking at other people's mothers and so-called angels, what happens in those episodes is followed up on repeatedly 
yes. through the rest of the series. I think that there's an important piece that MSCL does just like as good storytelling where it allows characters who know each other to have moments without Angela, you know, mm-hmm. so there's that, that moment um, in so-called angels where um, Jordan gives Ricky a ride and Ricky yeah. says he'll light a candle for him. And then Jordan's talking about it later, maybe to Brian. I don't, you know, like the, and he and Brian Same. have a relationship and he and Ricky yeah. have a relationship. Yeah. And part of what that does is allow Jordan to be a multi-layered human being. And what's interesting about that is that it doesn't make him a better love interest. He's a terrible love interest. Oh, yeah. Allows you to see that Angela has no idea who he is. Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes Angela a more flawed hero because she doesn't think of Jordan as a person. She doesn't have a crush on him because he gives homeless gay kids a ride. <laughs> she doesn't have a crush on him because he has built a friendship with his his English tutor. Those yeah. are good reasons, and has tried to help him get a, a girl's phone number. Like yeah. those are good reasons to have a crush on someone. Yeah. Those not the reason she likes him. Well, she doesn't, she, she doesn't see those things about him. Well, and 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 I think it's just telling that more or less throughout the entire series, she always refers to him first name last name. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, they tend to do that throughout the series with most of the characters, but it, it is that sort of like at least at the very beginning of the series that this sort of putting him on a pedestal of the idea of him, or you know, it's it's he's not Jordan, he's Jordan Catalano, and I think I think you're uh, you're getting to something really right there because your Brian seems to understand him a lot more than uh, by the end of the series than than she does on some level. Yeah, and I think Ricky does too. Mm-hmm. Ricky's had a crush on him a lot longer than Angela has. Yeah, and he seems to actually pay attention. You know, so I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, to people's mothers is my I can't watch this. It hurts too bad. Favorite. So. Having been having been younger, like you said, you were about eleven or twelve years old when when you first saw the show. Um, and and many of us, who at least the people I've been talking to, uh, were older, um, either our late teens and our early twenties. What what was it? I mean, what was it like being a teenager? Actually, being a teenager closer or younger than these characters, uh, as a, it's somebody who you're kind of looking forward to being or forward to an age you're looking forward to as an age, as opposed to an age that you're looking back on. What was, what do you, what do you remember about that or, or how that affected the way you look at the show or. So I think, I mean, I was really sort of Danielle's age almost, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? When it yeah. started. So in some ways I was sort of being Danielle and that I was, you know, sort of aping, um, not Angelo, but Rayanne, you know I mean? I wanted to dress as Rayanne. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the, the early nineties was not, a time when oh I don't know I mean maybe it was it was not a time in middle school and high school where it was like really cool to be a nerd yet or where it was really cool no. to that um, Kurt Cobain had just died yeah. and um, you know there was a, a sense amongst my older friends that they had sort of lost this movement leader um, and it hadn't Middle school and high school were very much still, you know, popular crowd. The Saved by the Bell, you know, there was no sort of it's okay to be the weird kid in ways that I think now, you know, there's now that especially the internet is is so big, there's fandoms for those kids. And, you know, yeah. if, you, 
if you were my age five years later, if you were 11 five years later, you know, you would have had MuggleNet and you would have been writing Harry Potter fanfic with people. Um, I mean, I could have been at 16 anyway, but like, um, or no, Harry Potter wasn't out yet, I guess. That, that, there was, there was a, a a way for kids to, to find each other and be weird together. Yes. Yes. That wasn't when I was 11. Yeah. But, Angela and Rayanne and Ricky found each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it opened up my mind in a certain way to the, that I ought to be finding the people that were my real harass in high school instead of just staying with the yearbook. Not that there's anything wrong with the yearbook, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know... That, that it was okay for me to sort of, that there was hope that I would find people who were, you know, who were in my caress, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think it was an important piece in my growing up. And, um, and I did find people in high school who were um, weird like me. But also, because I got involved with one of the earliest fandoms, um, I was very involved with the list um, all through middle school and high school. And the listies were some of my main social interaction. And so that was a, a friendship to me in a, in a way to socialize that I think affected me in ways that I don't even really always know. Um, because most of them, there were a group of us who were young, but most of the listies were older and, and were having conversations about analyzing the show from a lit analysis level or mm-hmm. we're talking about you know um, classic literature that that affected it or you know th- these conversations that the average 11 or 13 or 15 year old that I knew were not having mm-hmm. um, and it also was um was like a thing that I had that nobody else had or knew about I mean I, not that I didn't tell my friends about it but it was a part of my life that that wasn't my parents and wasn't my school friends and wasn't, you know, my, the group of friends that I ran with, it was just mine. And I think that that anchored me in a way that a lot of teenagers don't have. That I, I really can't add to anything, anything to that because that is quite possibly one of the most perfect things, you know, I've heard about a show or just about being a fan of something and how, we do and and you know it's been it's been 20 years and we've seen so many fandoms come and go from so many different shows or movies in my case comics that you feel some sort of ownership of what it is or when you watched it or or when you were reading it depending on you know what it is and and um no, thank you for saying it because that that is that's basically one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to get so many people, different people together to to talk about this because there is a there is a sense of, that we all kind of share this show, but we all share it in different ways, and we all kind of have, you know, um, everybody seems to have a connection to a different episode or a different character, and 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 now it's the kind of the view of, of looking back at it, we can kind of look at ourselves and see like how that kind of affected who we were at the time and maybe went on affected who we are. Well, so, I think cool. being in fandom is 
you know, people, I tell people that my fandom is my so-called life, and they're like, but there's not a my so-called life fandom. And I'm like, oh, you don't understand. There are not other fandoms from things that have been dead for 20 years. Yeah. There is an active my so-called life fandom. Yeah. Not that we're still writing fanfic, but that that group of people that was brought together by being fans of my so-called life is still in regular contact with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just when Jordan Catalano wins an Oscar. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Or Angela's <laughs> winning Emmys, you know. <laughs> right. It's, you know, there's something about having been a part of something. And and this is sort of that, that thing that, that hipsters get or that all of us get when we find something that's really special that not everyone knows about. Yeah. We were a part of something very brief and very special and we were a part of it in ways that almost no one else ever got to be. We got really lucky and blessed to be sort of a part of, you know, Operation Life Support was like the first internet-based fan campaign to try to save a show. Yes, it was. And even though I joined right after Operation Life Support was over, you know, I knew a lot of those people um, uh, through the the list i knew virini and and um sarah's and i got to see something happen on the internet that no one who invented the internet could ever have foreseen being what people use the internet for Mm -hmm. and now it's almost commonplace yeah in a sense because i was um i joined much later uh but i was part of the freaks and geeks save the show campaign back in 2000 i still have the t-shirt um, and of course that did not, <laughs> did not go well, but that, that's the only other fan experience I was ever, but even then I'm not in touch with anybody from the freaks and geeks list I was on. I just have a bunch of cool memorabilia and stuff. And, and I, I think you really hit it home with, with that point about how this show, I've got a good solid number of friends from, from this show who, you know, who I've only talked to a couple in person or met in person but uh but yeah there's there's that 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 weird connection we always have we all have and so so I, thank you that was just... that you know, people post on facebook may or or jada or somebody will post on facebook and all i'm like i don't remember that i know them from my so-called life you know mm-hmm. what I mean? it's just people i've known for 20 years yeah yeah it's it's gone beyond that so yeah. thank you, um, but thank you. Uh, is there is there anything that you needed to plug or? or... So I co-run a blog called Storytime Underground, and we provide resources for um, early childhood educators, um, storytime librarians, uh, anyone who is doing early childhood intervention or education, and um, we do a lot of advocacy for um, for librarianship and early childhood intervention. Um, and we do um, literacy intervention, and we do um, a lot of promotion of really great resources. So if you are in any way involved in early childhood literacy intervention, um, we just launched a brand new initiative called Storytime University that allows people to track and get credit for their non-traditional professional development. Oh, cool. Really, really, really exciting because... Um, librarians and educators spend hundreds of hours of their non-paid time um, going to webinars and reading blog posts and doing things online with their personal learning network to be better 
at their jobs and they don't um, have any way to track it and get credit for it. And now mm-hmm. they do. Oh, that's awesome. Thank I- you. Um, well, thank you for coming on. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick break here. And when I come back, I'll have the, uh, my next guest on. So enjoy, uh, this next music. to you you're you're just like non-shockable or something it's kind of it's refreshing isn't it yeah it is kind of refreshing refreshing so you do have a friend I mean Maybe not the one you want, but... (sighs) I screwed up. Duh squared. And we're, once again, we're back. Uh, My next guest is uh, unique in that he's out of all the, out of all the guests I'm having on here, he's the only other guy on the show, and he's also the only other person from another country, actually. So we're going to get a unique perspective on my so-called life this time around. Uh, please welcome to the show uh, my friend Mark. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> so um, we were talking before we went on here, and uh, we're about the same We're about the same age, uh, both about 37 now and as we're admitting it so we were about 17 (laughs) years old or so when we first discovered the show um i first as i i talked about last episode i found the show uh actually did watch the pilot when it was first on the air because i had found it by looking through tv guide or, or something um being that you're in you're in england um and i don't i don't know if it ran at the same time or if it didn't um how did you find the show uh originally well, the show aired in in the UK on Channel 4, which was kind of, um, I suppose back then, we really most people only had the four channels. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of as satellite TV was coming in, and, and so pe- most people couldn't afford satellite TV, so most people only had the four channels. So it aired on Channel 4, and it aired um, around sort of late afternoon, early evening. So it was 
specifically aimed at the sort of teenage demographic so kind of mm. after school but before kind of dinner time okay. so it was kind of in between um and it aired in a slot that they kind of aired other types of um what they would call teen drama type shows mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think of any that spring to mind that were all at the same time but i, I my mind uh, my memory escapes me but um essentially that's how i found it i kind of flicked over on the channels um you know as you do when you're sitting there when you're a teenager and you've got nothing else to do but watch the tv um and that's where i found it and it kind of just stuck i know i didn't see the pilot um i didn't see that until sometime afterwards i think i came in my first episode was guns and gossip was the first episode i saw so i missed the first two Mm -hmm. um and then i was hooked from there on from there on in now at the time um um having you know watching the show from there on out and then probably going back and watching it over again uh, when it was in reruns or or, or whatever mm-hmm. um back then did you did you latch on to a certain character like you know who did you identify with the most or who did you want to follow the most um out of out of all the core characters of the show well my inner geek was um was obviously latching to brian mm-hmm. uh, i think that was yeah, you and me both man <laughs> which is which is interesting because as i re- you know as i reflect back on the whole show there's so much about it that spoke to lots of different aspects of my personality some of which i wasn't even aware of at the time um but it was definitely a brian thing it was the whole you know what you want you just can't get it aspect of his personality uh, in so many ways shapes and, and forms both in his pursuit of Angela or his desire for Angela but also um, his desire to be more socially accepted his desire to be more kind of with it and cool and um, kind of wanting to be part of that but not quite knowing how to get it um, so I suppose that spoke to me in a lot of ways so it was definitely I was definitely um, firmly in the Brian camp yeah, I, I, I in in rewatching, I noticed how Life of Brian is so appropriately awkward mm-hmm. of an episode because uh, it's supposed to be, but it is just so well done and awkward on the level of of what we've seen in sitcoms over here lately yeah. in the last few years, um, and and uncomfortable in places, or at least for somebody like me and possibly you who yeah, really did identify with the character twenty years ago. Has that changed since then? Is there anybody now that you find yourself gravitating toward or maybe just understanding on a different level because it's been, you know, 20 years in the show and we're no longer in our late teens? Yeah, I think it's interesting because the older I got, the more I found myself loathing Angela's character, <laughs> which which I suppose isn't really the point of the show. But I kind of the more I watched it, the more I kind of really didn't like the way... <laughs> that she behaved and, and kind of her perspective on things. Um, but what I did find is that it's interesting because literally um, probably three, four weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with somebody at work um, and, and the work I do, I work with um, clients on emotional difficulties in mental health. Mm-hmm. And it just uh, came up in conversation. The quote that Angela um, uses about Graham um, that, uh, my dad thinks everybody's having much more fun than he is, and <laughs> they're probably right. And that quote, sort of in this conversation, just kind of struck me. as like, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. I kind of feel like everybody's having more fun than I am. Um, so I think the more the more I watch it, and the older I get, the more I identify with Graham. The kind mm. of there's certain 
I think there's a certain stuckness with Graham, a kind of um, he's kind of happy where he is, but not really, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. And there's, there's there's that kind of wanting something more and not quite knowing what that is. Um, I, I think you summed that up perfectly because he's comfortable. Yeah. Like his life is comfortable yet he's uncomfortable in that, you know, but he doesn't seem to want to throw it all away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, that would be too soap opera anyway to do, but, but he's, you know, he, he's trying to, you're, you're right. He wants something more, but he's not entirely sure what it is. And then it doesn't help half the time that Patty seems to be pushing. Yeah. And she thinks she's being encouraging. She seems to be pushing. Um, yeah, I I had the same thought about Angela as, as you did rewatching <laughs> the show over the course of and and sometimes it's not that I didn't like her. I chalked it up to kind of a that weird sort of arrogance that you have at fifteen years old mm-hmm. because you're you're more aware of things and therefore you kind of automatically think you know everything. Yet, at you know, thirty-seven, I can look back at myself at fifteen and just you know, shake my head and be like, you know, no, you were just a dumbass at fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it's it's the, I think it's one of the things that makes the show so well, in a sense, timeless in a way, is that the the self-centeredness of a fifteen-year-old is how it is written. So it's written from Angela's perspective and she Mm -hmm. is completely self-centered. The world revolves around her and in a sense, the show revolves around her. Mm -hmm. And yet when you get slightly older and you're looking at it as an adult perspective, you can see that that's how she, that's kind of her perspective that the world revolves around her, but you can see that it isn't quite like that. And I think that for me is what comes across is that, that, that juxtaposition of, as a teenager you're a self-centered kind of brat um (laughs) but as an adult it's like no it's not quite like that you know the world doesn't revolve around you there are other people's feelings at stake here you know yeah i think for me that's what comes across yeah and on a weaker show we wouldn't have gotten that we wouldn't have gotten the strength of um the adult i think the adult characters help temper that we have story arcs for adult characters on a teenage television show in a way that you don't get um very often Mm. And and you still don't get no. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about more recent shows that you still don't get that. You know, yeah. um, there is no. I think that's what made it so frustrating when the show ended mm-hmm. was there was so much more coming for those characters. Yeah. Um, or it feels like there was so much more to come. You know, the whole Halle Graham thing. The whole. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the. I remember reading some fan fiction um, that just just was mind-blowing in its depth um but interestingly focused more on the relationships between the adults than it did the uh than than it did the children so or mm-hmm. the, the teenagers so yeah so so going from there we're, um considering all these things and there there are only 19 to choose from what um you know what's your favorite episode what is the one you kind of gravitate toward every time you want to sit down and at least watch something out of the show it's the last one it's um, in dreams, I think, mm-hmm. because that's the one that had the biggest emotional impact in so many different ways. Um, 
the the aspect, this kind of Serrano de Bergerac aspect of that episode, I quite like as well. The fact that mm-hmm. um, you know it wasn't Jordan's letter, and uh, it was actually Brian, and so I liked all that. I liked the fact at the very end, just that simple realization that she suddenly kind of thought, oh, "Maybe I've made a big mistake here." Um, <laughs> and, and but yet, Jordan's heart already's got a car, and, it's yeah, kind of... <laughs> and yet the look she gives Brian when she gets yeah. in the car—the kind of like, "Well, you know how it is." Look is a gut punch. At least it mm. was to me at the time, because that is my—that is the episode that that stuck with me the most. It is one of my. It probably that probably is my favorite episode as well. Yeah, for those reasons too. And I think also as an angst-ridden teen, I had a lot of stuff going on back then. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I was left kind of emotionally distraught by the fact that I just watched this incredible episode that had all this emotional uh, content. And then the announcer coming on and saying, and that was the last in the series of my so-called life. And, and not knowing that, and not knowing that that was the case um, yeah. before I saw that episode or before that episode ended. And kind of literally having... Um, a bereavement right there and then um i i can remember vividly the where i was sitting in the room how i you know the whole situation when that show ended um it was uh, quite traumatic actually <laughs> yeah yet there's something in the fact that i don't want to say oh it was good that it ended but there there's something that that it ended on that note and that it that it is unresolved that makes that whole thing so kind of perfect because it, there's an attachment to at least those two characters in that situation. Plus there, there's things in that episode that, that where other characters have evolved by then, or there's some closure. I know that there, there's something left up in the air between Graham and Hallie mm-hmm. um, because the tension is there and it's getting closer and closer and closer to what had there been a season two probably would have been an affair. Um, or at least that's what they were obviously pushing yeah. toward. Um, mm-hmm. But the other two things I've always noticed about that episode that I've loved is um, one that this friendship between Rayanne and Sharon mm-hmm. kind of is openly admitted because she actually says that she actually tells Rayanne that she has a friend and they've been, they've been getting closer ever since like earlier in the show and then the other thing is that, um, and something that I was very, at least ha- I'm very happy to see when I see that episode, is that Ricky actually comes out to somebody, which was not like the big revelation that anybody was expecting, because from the first episode of the show, everybody knew that, you know, Ricky was gay, but mm-hmm. he, he, it's like he admits, he tells Delia, she mm-hmm. says, he just says yes to Delia, because she's like, well, you're gay, right? And he says yes, and then he says, well, I've never actually admitted it to myself. Like, there, there's this sort of, um, everybody kind of moves up a level or to the next stage, or or, or, or you can see that, that things have have finished where, or, or they're, they've moved on from where they were in the very, very first episode of the series. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and, and I thought the Cyrano, um, I loved the Cyrano plot. Yeah. But, um, partially because I think I had just read that play. <laughs> I, I, I read that play senior year of high school, so in English class. So, but but at the same time, I liked it because it wasn't done in a ham-fisted sort of way. 
No. Yeah. And I think I liked it because it's the sort of thing that I would have done. <laughs> you know, that's the sort of thing I would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you should mention the whole Ricky thing because for me, it's it's complicated because at the time when I first saw the show, um, I was very much in denial about my own sexuality mm-hmm. and even watching that even watching ricky's journey um it still didn't resonate with me because i was so far in that with that watching it now is a very different situation it's a very different um emotional uh journey for me watching it now um mm-hmm now that things have changed and that I'm more open with who I am and more accepting of myself and, and seeing that is, um, I find Ricky's storyline generally quite difficult to watch, quite painful to watch, um, because it's so emotionally fraught. I think, um, seeing somebody going through the exit, well, I suppose the whole show is really about acceptance yeah. in a sense, but I suppose more obviously, for Ricky than, than most um, that and that point that you mentioned where she sort of says it to Delia where he says it to Delia and sort of says yeah I've never really said that out loud uh, you know, I've never really admitted that to myself um, for such a relatively short almost throwaway moment uh, it's actually quite poignant for me in a lot of ways yeah, it's, that, that, admit, that admission out loud is yeah, a big cause, deal because it's subtle because mm. because he, he doesn't he doesn't he gives it kind of a I don't want to say he 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 doesn't laugh but he kind of it's not like it's not like some sort of emotionally overdone scene he's just kind of like yeah it's it's almost matter of fact yeah in a sense and and I think that's why that's what I've always loved about that scene is that it it, it seemed very natural the way and the thing acting. is. It's a more realistic, in my experience, a more realistic coming out scene in the mm. sense that, you know, most people don't burst out of the closet with jazz hands and, and feather bowers. <laughs> That's not kind of how it works. You know, for most people, it isn't um, this big dramatic situation. It, it, it is that matter of fact. It is mm. that kind of, well, yeah, that's kind of how it is. You know? yeah. And that feel it feels real. And I think that's yeah. probably the aspect of the show that, that keeps it that keeps me able to watch it over and over again mm-hmm. um now being in being in the uk um mm. and having it come on channel four as opposed to you know where we were at abc on at eight o'clock on on thursday night which mm-hmm. and, and we were talking about how it was on against mad about you and friends and, and really fought for the ratings and um i i've always contended that the show is almost ahead of its time as well because had it been on maybe a Maybe a WB or something, a cable channel. Yeah, a couple of years down the road, it might have actually survived a little bit longer. But um, what was you know how did how did the experience of, of being in another country and watching this American television show about teenagers, um, especially of this type, because this was kind of a a it was a rare thing for us. I mean, the, the, our our experience with teen television at that point, contemporary to my so called life, were like nine hundred two and zero and uh, Saved by the Bell. And which mm-hmm. in no way were realistic and everybody knew it. But, you know, what is is it different being in another country watching this? I mean, what did did you do you think you took things away different from um, what we were over here? 
it's interesting because high school American high school mm-hmm. just appears to be very different to uh, school in in the UK. At least my experience of school in the UK is very different. So whilst we we have our own issues, the clickiness, the kind of we, for me there wasn't there isn't that distinct kind of social groupings that you get or that you appear to get in in american high schools mm-hmm. um you know the jocks the cheerleaders the, the all that kind of yeah. the geeks the nerd all that it doesn't tend to at least when i was at school that that wasn't really how it was um but we are so used to seeing american shows over here you know we've kind of grown up with them for a very very long time that mm-hmm. it just feels that that's just the way it is and we kind of know that um, so it, I don't know whether, it, whether there's a cultural difference or not. I think, I think in a sense it transcended cultural differences because of the realistic way in which it portrayed teenage emotion and teenage experience. And I think there is a, there is a kind of collective experience of being a teenager, both emotionally and, and, um, in terms of, of experience and that transcends cultural and uh, geographical boundaries. And I think that's what the show managed to capture so perfectly. Um, so I don't know whether there is anything, for me, certainly mm. I don't think there was anything culturally different about watching it in the UK, other than the fact that um, I think that it was aimed at a different demographic. Yeah, there, there's sort of something universal about the the emotion of teenagers and what everybody goes through, despite where they are. Because, like I said, the other shows about teenagers were always selling a fantasy anyway. So, yeah. look at the rich kids in Beverly Hills. I mean, mm-hmm. you see that, and I see that, and we probably see it from the same sort of point of view, unless we're already rich kids living in a rich neighborhood, which I was not. Yeah. So, um, no, me so either. That, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But so that's that, quite common. It, it, I think it's that's mm-hmm. quite a common. Um, view. I mean, you look at some years later, you got uh, the OC, which was exactly mm-hmm. the same kind of premise. It was basically 90210 updated until they decided to do 90210 updated. Oh, yeah. You know, so I think that's a, for some reason people have that. I think you're right. It's the fantasy, the fantasy aspect of it that, that yeah. people want to be absorbed in a fantasy uh, world for you know 45 minutes or whatever it is whereas with my so-called life it was like no we're going to actually show you what it's really like and so that you can properly identify with these people now was the show ever edited over there because i know that sometimes i hear people talk about say the six million dollar man or 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 um or a show that might be edited for violence sake and when they re-ran it on oh one of the cable channels over here, they would edit, but I think they were just making cuts to fit more commercials, and I don't think they were editing for any content. Was it ever edited over there, or did they just Channel Four just show it as it as it was? To the best of my recollection, they just showed it as it okay. was. I mean, back then, back then we didn't have quite so many commercials as they do in the states. Mm-hmm. That's that's changed now, but um back then so there was no problem with editing the only the only edit that was made was i think due to the um the time slot that it was being shown in mm-hmm. they didn't air weekend um so that episode didn't air originally on channel 4 and i think it was probably because of the sexual or the um the sexual content that was being alluded to in the episode um that Which... wasn't 
Which is funny and, because that's the that's the episode narrated by a uh, Danielle, her yeah. um, old ten year old sister. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but for some reason, I don't know. Um, that's my only assumption. But that that one didn't air for whatever reasons until it re-aired. Um, they showed mm. it again some years later, um, and I don't remember what channel it was on. Off the, uh, it might have been Channel Four, but it might have been it might have been MTV. I don't think it was, but I, I think it was Channel Four again. And they aired yeah. it again some years later, and they showed that episode. Um, obviously, times had moved on. Um, <laughs> But that's, to my knowledge, that's the only one that that was that was edited for any reason. And have, have they've they've actually released it over it, uh, in in was it region your region two DVDs? Did yes. they recently yes. DVD over in the UK? Yeah, because sometimes they'll, they'll yeah, they screw with that and they'll release something over here, and yet for some reason they won't over there. No, uh, we actually got a, re- a release because um, there was the original box set that mm-hmm. you know the the big the drama box set. Yeah. Um, with the with the lunchbox, which I'm looking at at the moment, funnily enough. Oh, I never um, got that. <laughs> ah, yeah, it's sat, I, sat I on have, my shelf right now. I have the one from about 2007, the Shout Factory one. Oh, okay, that was. Um, yeah, I think I got that one as well. Mm-hmm. So I got the original one that took forever, and I got the, the Shout Factory one, half of which is missing, and I have no idea where it is. <laughs> but then they released a different one in the UK, fairly well, uh, a couple of years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cheap, um, and there was no special features. It was, it was just all nineteen episodes in a little box set, and yeah. I think that was a UK only release. Um, so um, no, it was it was released over here as well. I think you're right, and I think I think over here it's still in print. I'm not entirely sure, but it isn't that hard to come by anymore. Um, that that first box set over here was that was a blink and you'll miss it. Yes, DVD release. And it's that because looked, it was so. Yeah. If I, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe it was the first DVD box set to be released due purely to the pressure of the fans. I think so. I believe. Yeah, and then because I remember, there was a lot of. Yeah, and I remember that 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 lunchbox goes mm. for a pretty decent amount on eBay, by the way. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I can part with it <laughs> to be I'm fair. Not asking to. I don't think I'm, I could. I don't think I could. I've looked for it just out of curiosity and I'm like, wow, that's way out of my price range. <laughs> so, <laughs> well th- thank you. This was this it's was fun. Yeah, this this was fun. Um thank you for uh thank you for coming on. I, I it's like I said, one of the one of the fun things about doing this show um as I've recorded these different conversations over the last uh, mm. last week or so is that I've gotten so many different perspectives um, and we've ca- talked about uh, you'll, you know, you'll hear we've talked about so many different characters in, in these yeah. different conversations so that's what and that's one of the things that I love about the show is that it's you know we're not all talking about Aunt, just Angela and 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 I think that that I that to me speaks to the strength of the show um, and, absolutely and its impact um, so once again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for, for taking the time on, uh, for you a Sunday night, for me a Sunday afternoon to just sit down and chat for a little bit. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. And, it's been uh, fun. thank you. Yeah, it has. Um, all right. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take another break and be back with my next guest. And, uh, right after this. Today. Feels good to be just 
I've caused you pain, and I'm sorry. And I'll always be sorry till the day I die. And I hate this pen I'm holding because I should be holding you. I hate this paper under my hand because it isn't you. I even hate this letter because it's not the whole truth. Because the whole truth is so much more than a letter can even say. If you want to hate me, go ahead. If you want to burn this letter, do it. You could burn the whole world down. You could tell me to go to hell. Go if you wanted me to, and I'd send you a letter from there. Sincerely, Jordan Catalano. And uh, we're back. Okay, so my next guest is uh, a friend of mine who've who's been a friend of mine uh, for quite a number of years since I joined the the so-called mailing list. Uh, she lives out in Chicago and is taking the time to to sit here and talk with me about her experiences being a fan of the show and and what she thinks of the show. Please welcome Andrea to the show. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. The first uh, the first question I've been asking everybody over the course of, of putting this episode together, and a question that I asked myself and, and talked about last episode was how did you find the show or as as I like to to put it uh what's your so-called origin story right okay so i remember hearing about the show before it aired um i don't remember how either in a magazine or you know 
seeing the commercials for it before it started. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I either had a night class or worked the night the show was on and never got to watch it when it was on ABC. Mm-hmm. And I even had friends who would constantly ask me because they assumed I watched it. Did you see the most recent episode? And I, I said no. So I didn't get to start watching it until I, it was on MTV mm-hmm. where I made a point of trying to see it because I had heard so many great things about it. I had wanted to watch it when I first heard about it and just my schedule didn't allow me to. Uh-huh. So I started watching it on MTV and I didn't even see it right when it started on MTV. Um, it had probably been airing for a couple weeks before I got was in a position to actually watch it. Uh And I turned it on midway through, and the first episode I saw was Father Figures. And I, at the time, I was kind of going through this little Grateful Dead phase myself (laughs) and sort of identified with that. And I loved the conversation at the end between Angela and Graham, and that just hooked me in. I was done. Yeah, that's the conversation where they talk about what music she likes. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah, that's a great... uh, I, I do love the end of that episode. Um, and you're, I know you're a couple years older than me. I was a senior in high school at the time. How were you in college? Were you? I think I was a sophomore in college okay. when it first aired. So I think I was, I can't remember what year it aired on MTV. It was that it was a year or two later. So mm-hmm. I think I was maybe a senior in college or okay. it actually took me five years to get my bachelor's degree. So I might've even been in my fifth year but by the time i joined uh, the list in um 1997 and i had already mm. by then seen all the episodes a bunch of times so were, when you first saw father figures were you were you hooked right about then or did you did it take a while for you to 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 watch everything and um did you ever go back and watch it in order i was yeah. hooked right away and Shortly thereafter, MTV played a marathon, mm-hmm. and I happened to catch that and saw a lot of the episodes over the course of a couple of days, and eventually went back and watched it in order, but I think it was one of the last episodes I actually saw was the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not have been the last episode I saw, but it seemed like I caught every other episode on TV but the pilot. That is interesting. Uh, and so if it wasn't the last yeah. episode I'd ever seen, it was one of the last ones I, I ever saw. Did you identify with any character at the time? I and mean, was there somebody you really felt attached to? I think it was Angela. Um, mm-hmm. Right from that very first episode and sort of the, the no, I don't want to go. And then the sort of feeling guilty sort of thing. I always sort of felt guilty about stuff when I was in her age range. So um, I saw a lot of myself in that. And... As I started watching more episodes, I I saw everything through her eyes, I think. In some ways, I thought I was a lot like her. And, it, you know, it really wasn't very – I wasn't that much older than her. You know, I was in college, but those that age wasn't that many years before that for me. So mm-hmm. I was able to identify the sorts of things she was going through. And some of that stuff still happens in college. You know, I, I sort of identified with her – liking the guy who maybe wasn't right for her or that, you know, yeah, eventually he comes around, but you know, and then the person who really likes you isn't the sort of person you're interested in. Yeah. Um, she also had very different relationships with both of her parents and I sort of did not in the same way. My parents weren't quite like hers, but so I sort of had that like viewing my parents differently and, um, 
sort of the way she was, how, you know, she was, she was sort of stuck in the middle, it seemed like, between this sort of, I don't want to say sweet, but um, more sort of, or even conformist, because that sounds so horrible, mm-hmm. but sort of the life you anticipate she may have had when her, yeah. when her best friend was Sharon, and her sort of trying to be a little different or crazier or free spirit, however you want to call it, when she became really good friends with Rayanne and Ricky and sort of that line she was straddling. And I had done that a little bit myself. So, Mm -hmm. um, she was the one that really drew me in. And, and when I watched the events in the show, I always saw them from her perspective. Yeah. I always got the feeling that as much as she stays, she, she regains her friendship with Sharon by the end of the show to a, to a different degree or on a different level that that she kind of went off like it's almost like like you were saying you're at the word conformist is not the best but it's almost like scripted mm-hmm. in a sense like the I'm sure she brought this up at some point over the course of the show um, you know the role you're playing mm-hmm. and and how the the show kind of begins with her breaking at breaking out at that um. Do you find yourself thinking the same way about her now? I mean, it's been 20 years since uh, since the show aired, so it's been at least a good 15 or so. If you discovered it maybe, say, in like 96 or 97, mm-hmm. you're talking a good 15, 16, 17 years. Um, I know I've definitely changed my opinions. Not like Not that I hate any character that I loved or anything like that, but... You know, I definitely view certain characters their way. Do you do you feel the same way about Angela that you do that you did then, and do you connect with any other characters at the moment now? I'm just kind of getting that idea of how your perspective changes over uh, over time. Sure. Um, when I see Angela now, it's sort of like looking back on myself a long time ago. But I notice her faults more than I did back then. I remember we used to talk about the list on the list and there were people who really didn't like Angela very much. And I I was never able to comprehend that. But I think some distance in time and being able to see in some ways how sort of selfish and empathic she was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always look back and I'm like, gosh, I hope I wasn't like that. But I now look back at her the way you sort of look back at your high school years, you know, Mm with uh, fondness, but you still sort of recognize that person, but sort of don't, even when you look at yourself, because a lot has changed for you in that time. Unfortunately, now, the the, the character I identify most with was Patty. <laughs> and actually, back in the time when I first started watching it, she was the character I hated the most. And I think it's a couple reasons why she, she's the one I identify with the most. Um one is just I'm closer to the age of her parents now than I was, you know, then I was closer to yeah. her age. Now I'm closer to her parents' age. I may yeah. even be exactly her parents' age now. I think, um, so I can identify yeah. sort of where their viewpoint is. But mm-hmm. the sorts of things that made her great on my nerves when I was younger and watching it, I now recognize in myself as an adult. Mm-hmm. And... um I, you know, the way she's kind of overbearing and just harps on something a little too long or is a little too clingy or needy in certain respects, mm-hmm. I can see myself doing that. I know if I were a parent, I would probably be just like her. And those same things still great on my nerves, but now I look at them like, oh gosh, if I were in that situation, I would do the same thing. And then I'm a little mortified. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I think I... I identify more with 
padding now. And that, that creeps me out a little bit. Yeah. My running joke on the list um, a number of years ago was that Patty's my mother. <laughs> and because I'm not kidding. My, my sister and I, um, my sister is not a huge fan of the show, but she and I have watched so-called angels mm-hmm. a number of times. And without fail, there's a couple of scenes in there where the two of us will look at each other and go, that's mom. And, but, but I, I totally agree with you because in rewatching it, I'm like, I, I, I see like her thought process more and I see more depth to the character <laughs> than I saw when I was younger. I, um, and I see actually see a lot of of Patty and Angela too, like where you can kind of see the the beginning of the of that of that control freak thing, or yeah. that wanting things to be perfect and wanting things to be okay. And right. but, you know, I, I agree. And I I always thought it was a testament to the show that it that with time the show gets you know the it, it doesn't seem as it, it seems kind of dated in a way. But at the same time, there's that, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, uh, the, the timelessness that you can pick the show up all these years later and see something, other things in it, whereas some shows from a long time ago you can pick up and watch, and the nostalgia value outweighs everything else. Right. You know, that usually happens with sitcoms, but yes, this yeah. isn't a sitcom. <laughs> so thinking back either then or now, uh, did what? What's your favorite episode? What is the one that that you is like your your go? If you're going to watch an episode of the show, this might be your 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 go to episode. At any given time throughout the years, my favorite episode has changed, and I think the only episode that never spent time as my favorite was the Halloween one. Me too. Oh, good. Because that's, that's I, my, so many I, people I, like it, but it's my least uh, favorite. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but um. I think if I were just going to turn one on, it would probably be Life of Brian, maybe. But it's that's not really my favorite. My mm-hmm. favorite is one that I probably wouldn't choose to watch very often, which sounds kind of weird. But right now, my favorite episode is Strangers in the House. And yeah. I think it's because well, I, I studied social psychology. Mm-hmm. And... Um, as a social psychologist watching that episode, it's so amazing because you have this event, which is, you know, Andy's heart attack. Mm-hmm. And you see all these people. And by this point, the show's been on for a while. So you, you know everybody's motivations and you know where they're coming from. And you see how they react to this situation. And then you see how they interact with each other based on how they're reacting personally to this event that's really made them think about their lives in some way. Um, And it's different for different people. You know, like Graham is just like, oh gosh, that could have been me. And and looking at where he is in his life. And you see how um, Camille almost doesn't react. And you see how um, it really sort of brings to a head the the Sharon and Angela situation. Because now all of a sudden Sharon has to stay in her house. And you see how they interact and how uncomfortable it is even though they're both sort of reacting first to the fact that he had a heart attack, but then to each other and how do they treat each other now that they're stuck in the same house. And um, the reaction of Rayanne to the fact that Angela's talking to Sharon again, but then Rayanne's reaction to Sharon, uh, which is probably nicer than most people would have anticipated because Rayanne always seems sort of hard and you realize she's got this great heart and she you know, then 
takes her to see her dad. And yeah, I mean, Marianne never needs an excuse to cut school, but the thing is she never needs an excuse to cut school. You know, she did that, I think, to be nice. And yeah. you just sort of see how everybody's reacting to this. And as a social psychologist, sort of sitting back and being a fly on the wall and seeing how an event sort of transforms people and their relationships to each other is really interesting. Yeah. I, and as a, from the, from the writing perspective of it, the thing I've always loved, I, I love this episode and the thing I've always loved about the episode is how it doesn't seem forced right. because, because this is, this is the type of, of um, like the breakfast club type of episode. Let's force everybody into the same situation Mm-hmm. So that we can use that as the context to hash out the differences, and some shows actually have literally done the Breakfast Club episode. But this, this you're right; it puts everybody almost under the same roof for the most part. And and the thing I've, I've loved about this is is that reconciliation between Sharon and Angela, and um, some of the scenes with Brian, because. Throughout the show, the one thing I've noticed is that you really do get the feeling that Sharon, Angela, and Brian have known each other for a, an incredibly long time yes. since they were little kids. And even though they're not really best friends anymore on the level where they'd go over to each other's house and play probably when they were about, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, there's still something left there. And 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 you you see that and, and it's it's well written and well acted. Mm-hmm. That way, and that's and and it also um, when you're talking about Rayanne, this kind of st- is like the very very beginning of her because by the end of the show, she is becoming pretty good friends with Sharon as well. Mm-hmm. And I always loved how that developed organically, right? Over the course of like ten, twelve episodes, it's not you know, <laughs> this isn't like you know Brenda and Kelly or something like that. You know, it's. <laughs> It, it takes a while for these things, and there's there's a real organic flow of the relationships, even if the plot is resolved by the end of the uh, the hour, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I connect on with Graham on that level of kind of looking down at your own middle age and being like and having that existential crisis. Yes, <laughs> you know, like what the hell? Because I think I think that's the episode where they actually all do find out that they're where we do find out or, or close to it that they're all they're like either all 40 or they're in their very early 40s they're 40 i actually yeah. in preparation to talk to you i watched that mm-hmm. episode last night okay and at one point graham says something along the lines of he's 40 we're mm. 40 and then later angela says that um her parents and sharon's parents are all about the same age i'm yeah. watching it. i'm 40 Mm-hmm. So I'm watching that. I'm like, holy cow. Like, I just, I guess I didn't really feel 40 until I watched that episode and realized I'm the same age as the parents and one of them just had a heart attack. Yeah. Um, and I'm 37 and I'm I'm at the age where I'm going to the doctor once a year to do the blood work and yep. have him yell at me to lose weight and get my cholesterol down and, you know, stuff that in my 20s. I couldn't give a shit less about it. So now I'm watching this episode, and this is the first time in a while I've watched it, and I'm actually thinking as I'm watching it, like, gosh, I need to stop having pastry for breakfast and (laughs) all this, because um, now that I'm actually the same age as the parents, and I swear, I watch it, I think they look older than me. Like, I still, I don't know. I just, I don't quite think I'm there, but I realize I am, and... um, you gotta start taking better care of yourself, and 
it's that high school reminder. (laughs) That's the high school yearbook phenomenon of everybody in older classes looking older than you when they were that age, and everybody your class or young not looking the age like. You know, you look, you flip through a yearbook like maybe ten years before you graduated, and everybody looks so old as seniors, yes. and you don't remember looking that old. And yet, you look at a yearbook from ten years after you graduated, and everybody looks like a baby. When know? I was in elementary so, school, um, in the hallway, they had the pictures of the graduating class from starting from back in the '60s, and I remember looking at it, and there's like in the in like 1968, 69. This is now. This is people graduating eighth grade, and there were like some boys with mustaches and stuff like that. Yeah. Like we look like children. I know they look like they're twenty. Yeah, and so it's weird to see. Like you know, I'm the same or around the same age as the adult characters in the show, and you're like, I don't think I look. You probably don't look, you know, as as old as as say Tom Irwin or Bess Armstrong. I don't know what age they were when they when they made the show, but um. But you definitely, it's, it's it's kind of like that weird realization that you're like, you know, you are the same age as the characters. Yeah. Which kind of makes it fun to rewatch the show so many years later because of the different perspective it gives you. It does. Uh, it does. So one of the questions I had asked you, uh, rewatching the whole show, um, in my opinion, it's um, if you're going to do a top five shows that are the 1990s, this is in that top five. Mm-hmm. Because because it just you know to me you look at I mean, you look at the way the sets are done the costumes are done the the you know the, the the feel of the show I was telling you before we started that I had students and and, and friends say the show is really really nineties which it's like well duh it's in the middle of the decade uh, and it kind of represents it in a way but to me it, maybe it's my just kind of prejudice in the sense that I lived through the nineties so to me it doesn't seem dated right. How do you think this show managed to be both that sort of time capsule of of the 1990s yet also retain its feel feel timeless? I well, I think I'll start with the you know how it how it's in looks so 90s but is is timeless. I mm-hmm. think in the sense that it's not really trendy. You know, you put on something like Clueless mm-hmm. or something where they're wearing like the most trendiest fashions of the time and you look at Angela and yeah she's wearing flannel and Jordan's wearing flannel and we all wore I had I don't even know how many flannels I had in the 90s but they're they look normal or it's not like looking back at you know the, the worst are offenders are the the shows that are shot in the present day but take place in the past because they go a little overboard yeah with, say the costuming or whatever so it's very subtle when you look at the characters it's almost as if you're looking at photographs of people you knew back then. So it's you know a lot of people are wear you know wear jeans and t-shirts and can be placed wherever. You know Brian's look is kind of timeless because he was one who didn't really look very nineties. He kind of just wore his button-down shirts and tucked into the pleated khakis. <laughs> yeah, you can put Brian in any decade and you yes. know he'd fit in. Um, so it's not. And and while there's '90s music in it, it's not like mm-hmm. those shows like Dawson's Creek and Felicity. While while I loved those shows and watched those shows too, they were clearly marketing music. Yes, where you know the hottest bands at the time on the radio were the songs that were played in scene transitions and stuff. Yeah, I and think I still they would... like you have a little of that, but not. I mean, the the songs are used to advance the plot. 
uh, yeah. used, and it's there's more scoring and not as much. Um, let's just put in a cool song that the kids are going to like, yeah. and then we can advertise it at the end of the show. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it might have worked to their advantage that they couldn't. There wasn't that synergy yet with mm-hmm. all of these things, so they probably couldn't afford to get a Stone Temple Pilots or a Smashing Pumpkins or a Pearl Jam. So they were getting groups like Buffalo Tom, who was kind of on the cusp or kind of you know not not very well known. Whereas Dawson, by the time Dawson's Creek rolled around, they would advertise the music that was being played, you know at some point in the show and now it's like if you like them if if you ever watched them i used to watch greek when i was on abc family and uh and at the end of the episode they would say okay you can go to itunes and download songs by this band and this band and this band so it may have benefited from the fact that they didn't know even to think to do that back in 1994 right but in, in talking about how it's also so timeless in terms of the characters and the writing, the themes that they explored in the show were truly universal. There was nothing really dated about the situations the characters were in. Uh, maybe their clothes looked dated. Mm-hmm. Maybe the exact language they used in, in terms of you know their slang or whatever was dated. But... This, the themes of the show, the characters' relationships with each other uh, were pretty universal. Um, you didn't see too much of it maybe on television until the 80s because television seemed to be all sunshine and light or westerns or cop shows before then. Yeah. But, you know, when you started getting in, getting proper dramas that weren't soap opery and super dramatic, you started getting realistic shows. Um, the, the one that really stands out that I think my so-called life is like a lot is um, Life Goes On. Mm-hmm. Um, you start having these shows that show people's real life and you know there's always um, somebody who has unrequited love for somebody that they've known for a long time and <sighs> that person sometimes just doesn't give them the time of day there's always somebody who likes the person who's wrong for them uh, everybody has been touched by substance abuse in some way, you know, either yeah. a family member or a friend or, or somebody themselves has uh, experienced substance abuse. One of the things that maybe made it a little forward thinking for its time was the, the, the way they portrayed Ricky as a homosexual character. But you see that more commonly now. And I think they portrayed him in a real, real way. He wasn't a caricature or a, or anything like that. Yeah. I think you can just look at all these situations and you could still have a Ricky today. Um, the, mm-hmm. the, the struggles Ricky went through, there are still kids going through the, 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 the things that seem like a big deal, like he looked at me or he held my hand in the hallway, are still big deals to teenagers today. I, I would think you would be the expert on that, not me. But um, They definitely are, um, especially because there are still a lot of girls like Angela who are... Angela's... I hate to use the word inexperienced, but the you know she's still there's there's still an innocence about Angela through a lot of the the show. So the fact that Jordan would hold her hand in the hallway because he's actually acknowledged her relationship, whereas he is just kind of up till that point in that episode, you know, hey, let's go make out, and the mm-hmm. and he's always kind of avoided being seen with her through episodes prior to that because it's almost like he doesn't really want to admit to himself that he likes her more than just. It was interesting you brought up Life Goes On. I didn't watch the show 
that much, but that show had storylines that were considered revolutionary for the time. I think it was one of the few shows I remember at the beginning, at least when I was starting to be aware of television that wasn't like, you know, different strokes, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that tackled like AIDS right. and more topical things like that. And Marshall Hershkovitz and Edward Zwick, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, they came off 30 something. So, you you mix in stuff like that, and I think I think they also sometimes would take their cues from at least the 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 gritty undertone or the more realistic undertone of some of the John Hughes movies. Yeah, things like kind of take away the gloss of uh, Pretty in Pink or Sixteen Candles, and I know I'm referencing Molly Ringwald because I kind of see a direct line from Samantha Baker in some cases to. Angela Chase and I think they were definitely in tune to that but they didn't want to make it too um, ironically too MTV right too flashier stylized yeah which I think also makes it work I think so too um, because we, we watched John Hughes movies and like something like 16 Candles of the Breakfast Club and you know yeah they, they show all the different cliques of high school mm-hmm. and whatnot but they are all just amped up a little bit like the weirdo really looked weird and the nerd looked really nerdy and there were nerds in my high school, but they didn't all look like, um, Anthony Michael Hall, Mm-mm. you know, they, 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 whereas I think in, in a show like my so-called life, they just kind of, they looked like real people. They, they were good looking people, but they weren't all beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you started seeing later in, in, in shows, uh, you know, they sort of came out like Dawson's Creek. Those were all beautiful. Yeah. People. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying that the, the, that the people on my so-called life weren't attractive, but I think they looked more like the people I knew walking down the hallway than like, say, the people on what Dawson's Creek did. Yeah. yeah. And, and my so-called life had a good way of taking a lot of those characters and just putting them in the background and not feeling that they had to have a, a spotlight moment. There's a there's a recurring bit with girls. In, I think it's the same girls over, over the course of the show who are in the bathroom smoking and you're like little things like that. You notice where, you know, they don't have to have a a spotlight put on them, but it's, it's those little details. And and you're right. The, you could have entire episodes go by and barely see a couple of the main characters because they just weren't important to the, the plot. Like, you know, there are a couple of episodes here and there where Brian is, he's there, but it's, you know, he's kind of in the background and, and things. And, and I think that really speaks to, to how solid the show is because, you know, you mentioned Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek goes a lot to 90210 mm-hmm. in that sort of everybody looks pretty. Everybody has, there's a, you know, there's the person you you like or you're rooting for. There's a love triangle that, you know, are, are you, I'm trying to remember the name of the characters. Um, Katie, you had Katie Holmes's character and you had Dawson and then you had um, the other guy. And there was that Pacey. love triangle. Pacey, Okay. And so there was that love triangle and who is she going to go for in the same way you had Dylan, Kelly, Brenda. And the way I described Jordan Catalano last episode um, was if you had cast Rob Lowe as John Bender in The Breakfast Club, (laughs) you have Jordan Catalano. Because he's Jared Leto's at least when he was playing 20 years ago and... I've, is is a and he's he's an outstanding actor. Yes, but he's he was very very pretty. Yes, in that sense, yeah. yet rough and and but not in the way like you know, um, 
Luke Perry was like a catalog model. <laughs> right. Like I, you could imagine seeing Jordan Catalano at your high school. I could not imagine seeing Luke Perry at mine. Yeah. And it just, it, it just seems a little more, the people look more realistic on my so-called life. I see people like that now, you know, they might not look exactly like Krakow or, 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 or Chase or Chersky or somebody, but I see the Rayans and I see the, you know, the Jordans. I've taught the Jordans. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, it is funny where the more timeless movies and television, teenage them as it is, I find a timelessness in them because I can see those characters in my classroom sometimes for mm-hmm. better or worse. <laughs> um, and, and I, I think you're right there. There are times when some of the other shows that were, that were flashier, would connect with you. There are a few episodes of Dino New 2 and 0 that I do still remember as really, really enjoying. I never really did watch Dawson's Creek. I was in, I was in the middle of college by then. And I think I was just tuned out, but yeah, I think, I think you're right in that. It, this is so realistic that it, it's almost uncomfortable at times actually. Yeah. And <laughs> I sort of like that about it. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I'm maybe I'm a little masochistic in that way, but I like watching shows that are uncomfortable um it's why i really like the british version of the office because almost everything Mm -hmm. that's funny is painful at the same time but that's sort of how life is so um watching things that you know while it's still entertaining it's it, it hits close to home sometimes and it can be like you either are having a mirror held up to yourself or you're seeing situations that you can recognize. I think my so-called life has enough with all the different characters they have portraying so many different types of people that there's something in every episode that everybody can see sort of no matter what their background walk of life or perspective is that they'll see something Mm -hmm. that reaches them. I, I can't imagine too many people watching this show and I'm not saying they have to be, you know, major fanatics about it like we are, but <laughs> they, uh, I can't imagine that there's a lot of people who can't identify with something. Yeah. You had mentioned life of Brian and that uncomfortableness, that entire episode is awkward. Yes. But yes. it's supposed to be, but, but I mean, and, and things like that. And, and I think that that's a great, that's a great final point to make really. I mean, it's, it is, it is just a show that, that reflects things so well and can do so through a lens of, you know, from 20 years ago, but in the same way that um, something even earlier, like a, uh, oh, like a bell jar or catcher in the rye or, or something like that, mm-hmm. or, you know, or, or, or an, or an album that, that speaks to that teen angst and, and, and all the, the things that we look at here that still does, even though it's setting, it's set even in like our parents' generation can do. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it continues on when we're 30 years down the road and my son who's asleep in the next room is 17. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well, he's, you know, he'll be 17 in 10 years cause he said he just turned seven and I have no idea if he'll watch the show and connect with it the same way I did, but I guess one can hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might be a fun thing for you to do with him. Yeah. I think it would be. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on and being a guest here. It's I, I love I love the idea of just talking with other fans of the show. This this is just this has been fun. So thank thanks for thanks for coming on. 
Well, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to take a break now. And I, when I come back, I'll have uh, another fan. So uh, enjoy this next song. Huge events take place on this earth every day. Earthquakes, hurricanes, even glaciers move. So why couldn't you just look at me? Hey, you want to hear that song I was telling you about? All right, and once again, we're back. Uh, My last guest for tonight, because I honestly don't think Tino's ever going to get back to me, is somebody who has been on the show before. Uh, She and I sat down last September, I believe it was, and talked about the Counting Crows album, August and Everything After, and... uh, it was uh, not through our love of the Counting Crows that, that, that made us friends, but it's actually our love of this television show is the reason that, that she and I are friends uh, because we did meet via the so-called mailing list. So I would like uh, to welcome Shell back to the show. Hello! Hey! So yeah, we met... Um, I joined the list in 2000, and I think you and I really got to be friends in like about a year or so later. Um, in the dark days of AOL Instant Messenger, and yeah, still being definitely. on. Yeah, dial-up. I think we we both joined the uh, National Novel Writing Month. Yes, that's that's what I recall as being the point at which we really started talking, kind of not just about my so-called life, but mm-hmm. we're here today to talk about my so-called life. Yes, Hooray! yes, it's really cool. This has been a lot of fun so far. Um, I've I've asked the first question of this first question of everybody and and I, I talked about it in my last episode as well. Um, 
how did you first discover this show and start watching it and becoming a fan? In other words, what's your so-called origin story? Yeah. So, um, I, I think I, I was thinking about this and I don't recall the first episode that I saw, which is something that I'm sad about, but I, because I sort of stumbled onto the show accidentally, just flipping channels like you mm-hmm. do or used to do before there were huge digital TV guides. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely remember I was just like watching TV one night and flipping around and caught a few minutes of, you know, whatever episode it was and, and watched it to the end of the episode so I could see what the TV show was. And I didn't actually at that point, like, make sure that I could see it then every week or whatever. I didn't really get invested in it. I don't think until, um, it was syndicated and then began to, they began to do the huge marathons on like MTV yeah, or MTV two or whatever, um, whatever was happening at that time. So when, when I saw that it was coming on in marathon, I, you know, was like, Oh my God, this is great because I loved what I saw of this show, but I never watched it from the beginning. And so at that point it was a couple of years later and, um, I, you know, taped them all. Yes. Taped them with a VCR. And, um, if you don't know what that is, kids, look it up. (laughs) Um, and really got to watch the show from beginning to end and just completely devoured it. Um, was really, really excited about it. And so naturally then went online to see what I could find out about the show and places to talk about the show. And it's really all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. I, I mentioned in the last episode that um, I, I did watch the show kind of half heartedly through its original run. Cause I watched the first episode and then I caught maybe about half of the episodes when I was home didn't have homework and the TV wasn't taken up by mad about you and friends, Mm -hmm. but it was the last episode and the last moment of the last episode that like stuck with me to the point where I wanted to go back and rewatch everything. So they got me. It's like the last moment, but yeah, the, the, the marathons on MTV were, were definitely solidifying for me too. And I hit record on, I think that's how I had about the last four or five episodes where I just, found it one night on MTV, threw a tape in the VCR and hit record until exactly. the thing was over and then eventually got everything together and then chucked my VCR, my VHS tapes when I finally got the DVD set. Uh, back in 94, 95, 96, whenever you were really, really getting into the show, did you did you gravitate toward one character? I mean, who did you, who resonated you with you the most? Yeah, um, so I think when I was in high school, I really wanted to be a Rayanne, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, I wanted to be that quirky, cool girl with weird hair, but I didn't have the guts to do it. Like, <laughs> I was still, I still was like, okay, maybe if I um, blend in enough, uh, people will just ignore me, and that would be the best case scenario. Um, so I, I definitely wasn't one of those people who really wanted to draw huge attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I would have to say that it, personally for that age group, I was probably an Angela. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, you know, there were, there were aspects of all the characters that I, that I could relate to. So I don't think there was one really true fit for 
for if I was a character from the show. Um, but I definitely related to Angela and her perspective and her her struggles a lot. So, Has it changed at all in this? It's been 20 years and you <laughs> and I are both, um, we're both in our late 30s. So yep. um, we're both, we are both closer to Patty and Graham's ages than we were to uh, Brian and Angela uh, or Jordan and any you of know, the, the teenagers in the show. Um, ha- how has, how has it changed? Do you find yourself um, understanding different characters or, or do you kind of, has it, is everything kind of frozen in amber and it's still the way it always has been? No, I mean, I think, I th- you know, I think it's a, it's definitely a very different experience when you come to the show having lived 20 extra years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you definitely, understand some of you know patty's overbearingness and some of i mean i'm not a mother so i can't um i can't really say that you know that whole world opened up for me or anything like that Mm -hmm. but um but the way that the way that the show was written and the way that it was delivered was definitely through angela's point of view and so i think a lot of a lot of Patty and Graham's actions were taken as, you know, just super irritating mm-hmm. um, or made to be that way. But 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 with more perspective, you definitely understand sort of why they do some of the things that they do or how they react to things. And um, and it, it definitely is is interesting. It's it's a different it's definitely a different experience for sure. Um, I don't know. I have I'm even more jaded about teenage boys now than I was then. So (laughs) I gave gave teenage boys a lot more, a lot more slack when I was a teenager. And Uh, yeah, so that's, so that's probably different. I'm probably way less moony eyed over Jordan Catalano now. So being somebody who deals with them on a daily basis, Uh I understand why some of the girls I've taught even up until like junior and senior year, maybe have one boyfriend like you know <laughs> like talking like to a couple of the girls I knew who who I taught a couple of years ago and they just graduated this year and I, and I and and them just kind of shaking their heads at the behavior of their peers and being like the why the heck would I want teenage boys yes date them. <laughs> and I was a dumbass when I was 15 16 years old too so I can't exactly you know try to pretend that I was like you know mature or anything like that but well sure yeah yeah, i mean i was too you know (laughs) like teenagers (laughs) all right you know oh yeah Um, but but there's always that that thing where if you really like somebody and you make excuses for or uh, whatever they're you know the the terrible things that they do and say right and you overlook it and forgive them and and i and i definitely have had moments since my first watching like you know now that i'm older yeah i just like man angela just dude yeah. but, but she's <laughs> go out so... with somebody who likes you oh, yeah she's so like oh like i said at the end of at, like i said at the end of the of the last episode and don't want to scream at the television like you know kiss her you idiot yeah um, and, and he's so awkward and just it's still kind of painful for me because i was that awkward when i was just, yeah. when i was that old um, but the, and, and the, the, some of the other things, like I've ever always, I, I started to notice cause uh, in rewatching the show and I just finished rewatching it yesterday, um, how Ricky 
like Ricky's the kid who like memorizes all the little details about somebody he mm-hmm. kind of gravitates toward like there's an obviously that he had a crush on Jordan at some uh-huh. point by the way he's got his schedule memorized and stuff yep. like that and that's the type of stuff you did when you had a crush on somebody in high yep. school way back in the day um, yep. and stuff and I was talking to Mark I think it was Mark uh, when we were talking about how the parent characters weren't also never shuffled off to the sidelines and then they actually had their own storylines where they had things to do and they had things that would affect the other storylines and the or would come to affect the other stories uh you know Angela's story or something like that but mm-hmm. you never you you always felt that you were never going to get to the point where Patty was only seen in the kitchen saying hi kids when oh, sure. Angela and Danielle walked in the door from school or something like that, you know? And, and, and... Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely very well-rounded in that way. And I think it, you know, it was, um, it was unique in that aspect too. I think, I mean, I think there were a lot of shows that came after it that really tried to use that formula. You know, I don't mm. know. I'm just thinking about like Dawson's Creek and, Felicity and then the OC like you know like where all of these adult characters had their storylines too and I don't know if it was a sort of attempt to capture the adult audience along with the teenage audience I don't know but um, but yeah I think on some level it was but at the same time everybody on those shows was a lot more pretty oh no totally and they you know and they're all like really rich or they have Mm -hmm. like like crazy, I don't know, murderous affairs. Like, you know, like, like it's all very sensationalized. And that was the thing that was so cool about my so-called life is just this family living in a suburb, you know, and, and just like, just like completely sort of run of the mill average suburban family. You know, in fact, the only show that has ever touched it, in my opinion, was um, Freaks and Geeks Uh with, with the portrayal of a normal quote unquote, normal suburban family. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the stereotypical suburban family, of course, that was done through the lens of an 80s nostalgia, too. So they were able to get away with some things that, you know... Um, and, and my so-called life was temporary. Not temporary, contemporary. Yes. <laughs> to the actual <laughs> audience. It was temporary as well, unfortunately. Yes, it was far too temporary. It was far too temporary. I've, I've always... We've always... Uh, one of my favorite things on the list every once in a while when we email each other and talk about what possibly happened to some of the characters and, and things oh, like yeah. that. Um, uh, then and now, what were your favorite episodes? Um, um, yeah, that's a good question. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know if there are ones that I'm, I mean, it seems there are ones that tend to be everyone's favorites, mm-hmm. right? You know, like um, uh, self-esteem, you know, everybody yeah. loves self-esteem, right? You know, but, and, and who who doesn't cry by the end of that one? So I it, yeah, I mean I have I have that affection for those those really touching um moments in in those episodes that are very popular amongst the fans. Um I really like resolutions also. I just I yeah. like I like a good I mean and you know, like I I felt like the Christmas episode was a bit I mean it was good, but it was also a bit like over the top, right? <laughs> it, 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 it it toes the line of a very special episode. Yes, exactly. And, 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 I, and I felt like Resolutions was brought it back more to a sort of, okay, actually plausible place for, yes. for one. Yes. And, and secondly, I think there's just a lot of, there's a lot of 
inter like character like progression that happens in that episode too you mm-hmm. know like the way that the characters relate to each other their way that their their bonds and their friendships are forming or 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 evolving happens a lot in that episode that was a really terribly structured sentence sorry <laughs> no but, but no i you know I, I i felt that way too rewatching it because i do love so-called angels and i do watch it annually or yeah, i yeah. think you're right about resolutions kind of bringing it back down to earth no pun intended because mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and wilson cruz is like half the reason that episode is so good because he's amazing in so-called angels but you there's a happy ending to so-called angels but but the follow-up in this episode makes it far more than that because he has to deal with the aftermath of the happy ending and the fact that he doesn't feel comfortable right with it and and i i absolutely love um love that episode and you're right that the interaction between this is around the time i mean granted that the show is a few episodes away from from ending but but by then like these characters were were solid and everybody was very very comfortable in these roles and yeah and it really really showed um yeah and i think because ricky has always been like my favorite character like Mm. like it's a very different question right like which character do you identify with most so which Mm. (laughs) which character do you are you like most fond of and i think I think yeah, I think Ricky was always like I I think because there were no other characters like him on television. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can see that because there's still in some way or another that there, there aren't or at least the way he's portrayed is not as um now I don't I know nothing of of one struggle with his own identity in that regard but it seemed like they were trying to write that as naturally as possible as opposed to some sort of melodramatic. Yeah. It felt very organic. And Mm -hmm. in that, in that, you know, maybe he's not got it all figured out either. And who does when you're 15, you know, (laughs) like, like genuinely. And, and so it wasn't a, it, it wasn't, the pendulum wasn't one way or the other, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a, I know exactly who I am and you know, who I, what, what I am inside and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I just can't deal with it. And it's all melodramatic that way. And it wasn't, you know, the other way where like, I have no idea. And I'm what, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was yeah. very, it was very true to, I think a lot of, of kids who are like that and go through that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, th- and I think, on some level, every character was starting to struggle with that by the end of the show. I mean, Graham certainly was. You could see that in Patty on some level. I think if the show had continued on, you might have started to see that in Danielle. Yeah. Because you got kind of glimpses of that, but she was still a little too young for that sort of crisis. Something right. And I feel like, you know, happened. given just one one season they can't have like that sort of character growth with every single character yeah. right because there's only what what 47 minutes each episode yeah whatever. more or less yeah um, so it's yeah so i th- you know that that is one of the things that would have been cool is to see how danielle sort of came into her own self and how that was different or similar to her sister's experience um yeah. Experiences. And whether or not she stopped admiring her sister as much as she obviously does. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but I, I've I've come around 
way more in the last few years on, on Sharon Chersky and her ability to master the reaction, the glare, uh-huh. the, the just the, the Devin Odessa's facial expressions through half of the episodes when she's reacting to stuff are just priceless. And oh, yeah. they're absolutely yeah. comical. And they're just, they cast the show so well. They really did. So we've got this show. We've got this, this um, snapshot of a group of characters of, of the suburban teenage high school experience in a particular year in the middle of the 90s. And it, it literally is a snapshot because there's nothing really beyond this sort of very temporary thing. Like, you know, after the camera start, stopped rolling, you kind of, in some way, in your mind, they're still out there and they're living their lives. But um, we, you and I grew up in an, in an age of like the after school special uh-huh. and the, and an age where people really were starting to worry about what messages were being sent um, by the entertainment that kids were watching. You know, people mm-hmm. were worried about the effect that say MTV and the, right. the sex shown on MTV or the violence in video games or all these things. You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we came of age in the dawn of the parental advisory sticker, you know, and all these things. Yes. Um, what what message do you think my so-called life was sending um on purpose or or even inadvertently and um you know how does that how does it still apply today do you, do you see it still do you, how do you see the show still applicable to um maybe a teenage audience today um well i think oh that's a big question let me try to unpack it a little bit um okay. i'm i'm not sure that I'm not sure that the show had an agenda of message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it if it did, then it, it 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 was very clever in delivery because I never felt like it was a it was really attempting to position itself in some way, right? It wasn't forced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but I do think that it was a show that first of all to have a sort of, you know, a a protagonist who is a teenage girl who has within the narrative of the, of the story has voiceover, right? Mm -hmm. So we know exactly what she's thinking, what she wants to say, but doesn't um, all of that. That was very, that felt very new, right? Yeah. Um, Like, and I, I don't remember and, and maybe there were, and I, I just didn't know of them or, or don't remember them, but I don't remember there ever being that, sort of scenario on a serial television show before. Clarissa um, explains it all maybe. I but she talked to the camera. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And and, and I didn't really watch that. was a boy. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. So right. I yeah, so I I mean I I remember it but I don't I didn't uh-huh. I wasn't really into it. Um, and either so, was I. so this I I mean I think that in and of itself is is a is a powerful thing for a girl who's a teenager in high school going through these things, right? Where you are trying to figure out who you are to yourself, who you are in the world, who you are with your friends, with your family, all of that. So I think, you know, I think that, that was, that is a huge sort of, not, I don't want to call it a message, but a a construct Uh um, that, seemed new and 
appealing um, that I think is still quite relevant today. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's been sort of within the last few years, at least a real sort of surge in like what, what young adult fiction, right? Yes. But I've also read it all and I'm not a young adult anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um. <laughs> there, are plenty, there are plenty of people, there are plenty so, of people our age or older who, who read YA. Um, yeah. Depending on what and, it is. And there, you know, there are people our age and older that are writing YA, right? Yeah. So, so it's, so if you, if you think about it, what, you know, why is it, why is it even given that sort of disclaimer of why isn't it just fiction? Okay. Um, so Marketing. I, yeah, well, well, yeah, but I think it's, it's to the, you know, it can be to the detriment, like, like yeah. why is not respected as much in the literary world? And we're, we're, we're meandering a bit off the oh, topic. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. It's but, okay. I, I have, I have beef with the literary world anyway, and I'm an English teacher. It's just like. Totally. And as a, you know, as a as a reader as a teacher that's cool but as a person who writes for my you know for a living for like who writes books yeah. and isn't eligible for certain accolades for my efforts because it falls into a category which i feel is completely arbitrary i think that's frustrating no um, it's and it is frustrating and it's a publishing company just categorizing something because if you put that label on it it will sell yeah i mean and that's that's the the thing about the genre aspect of yeah. the quote genre aspect of a bookstore it's just this is gonna sell yeah. <laughs> you know yeah anyway i'm i'm getting way off topic but i know think- I, but i don't think you are because i, I was I, while you were talking about i was trying to rack my brain about uh, for a character on television at the moment who's who has the same sort of insecurities as a teenage girl as angela chased it or is, is so real and and granted i don't watch a lot of television that's geared toward teenage girls and i can't yeah. find a lot of them i know that like for years it was almost like daria kind of took uh-huh. the mantle of the show and ran with it and i know there was an mtv show called awkward a few years ago it might still be on for all i know that that huh. was getting similar praise but I have, from what I've heard from students talking about young adult fiction that is not set in a post-apocalyptic world right. <laughs> or does not involve sparkle, sparkle vampires. Okay, there's yep. one piece of young adult that I will shit on, and that's Twilight. But um, <laughs> but, but I, I see examples of like kind of an Angela Chase sort of influence on a lot of like just kind of very straightforward YA novels mm-hmm. that don't have a gimmick attached to them. Right. Um, and, and maybe that's where the influence lies because I've been trying, I know the show is influential on a number of people, not just its fans. And some right. of the fans went on to write. Um, but I, I'm trying to rack my brain to see where it is and I'm seeing saved by the bell clones everywhere. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's, that's part of, of the, if you want to call it a message is mm-hmm. it's just that it, it's a, I mean, it's going to sound cliche when I put it into words, but it's, it's a complicated and at times horrific ordeal to grow up and be a teenage girl in the world. And it was in the mid nineties and it is now. Right. And so to have a, an example, and clearly it's not a universal example. (laughs) It's an example of a fairly like, middle-class white suburban girl, yes, right? Yes, it is. 
so so yeah there's but but there to have that out there as like and to have it um deal with the the very real things that i think are so so important when you're a teenager and you know adults kind of look back on them and understand like somehow they're like later in life understanding that okay this that seems like a big deal but it's not but they don't follow through with the empathy that like but when i was that age i didn't know it wasn't that big of a deal yeah. right <laughs> so because yeah. it's a big um, deal to you at the time because right. that's what like, your world yeah. is and i you know i i have to catch myself doing that too you know cuz like i'll think oh why is this person freaking out like they you know it's really not a big deal well it is a big deal to them because that's where they are right yeah. so i i yeah i just i think having having a show that did those things and that was those things was um was it was unprecedented and it was and it was important it's important to be able to see yourself in the media that you are consuming right yeah so um so yeah if anything i think that that's probably what what i feel is the like the biggest um message that mm-hmm. <laughs> that the show sort of put out there and and the message that persists because it wasn't even though it is a snapshot in a very temporal way of like that particular time in uh, America or what <laughs> whatever yeah. um the recurring themes of like you know I like a boy and I don't know I can't tell if he likes me and I you know I I just drastically altered my appearance because I really don't even know who I am, who I am, much yeah. less who I want people to think I am. Um, I have had this best friend since we were tiny and now we hardly ever talk. Like those are things that everybody goes through. It doesn't matter what year you're born. Right. And those are yeah. things that people are going to continue to go through no matter, you know, no matter how many more smartphones we have. So, yeah. um, I, yeah, if, if anything, I think that's the, that's what I would say is the, is the sort of inherent, like, un, infallible value of, of the show. Yeah. And, I, and to, to add to that, I think that the, when you talk about, um, show, and I mentioned after school specials, there, there are lessons learned over the course of the show by all of the characters, but it's not in a, with the exception of maybe one or two episodes, um, guns and gossip and the substitute spring to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not today's lesson is, you know, where, where right. everybody learns something by the end. But um, I feel that by the end of the show, Sharon, for instance, has learned to not be as judgmental yeah. toward people like, because like Rayanne could very well under the care of a much lesser writer, be the slut character who gets what's coming to her. Absolutely. Cause she either yeah. ends up dead in jail or pregnant. You know, mm-hmm. now she does take it too far and she, she has to have her stomach pumped at one point. Right. But that speaks to not be careful what you wish for. It speaks to her obviously rebelling against whatever pain she's got as far as her parents are concerned. Right. And, her, and her I was mom. thinking yeah. about, I was thinking about that in, in thinking about the, I don't know, the evolution of the show and, and sort of the, the things that came before and after. Right. And, and I, and I think there's an episode of, 90210 where um 
some character like drinks half a beer and then runs a car into a house. Now, now I'm not saying that that wouldn't happen, but it probably wouldn't happen, right? And so and so it's and it's this big huge dramatic episode of like of like, oh my god, you cannot ever drink and drive, which is a message that teenagers need to hear, right? Yeah, you know, but... but you're not going to have any impact and you're, they're not, they're not stupid. They're, you know, they're, they're people. They have the capability okay. to think for themselves. You're not going to convince them that drinking half a beer means you're going to run a car or run, run a car into a house. Okay. Oh, yeah. well, well, there's also the, there's also, um, Donna Martin graduates where, where <laughs> Donna, Donna did or didn't drink and she got, she was loopy at the prom and all of a sudden they're not going to let her graduate and Brandon launches the protest and everybody walks out in this big See, thing See, you to remember do. way more of this than I do. And I watched all of that, but I just, I, I genuinely, it, it didn't stick with me. But, but the, the thing that... It's a punchline. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing that I remember most about the episode where that happens with Rayanne and she overindulges... Mm-hmm. Is the part where Angela calls her mom? Yeah, and and her and she just like starts crying immediately on the phone and says, "Mommy, I need you." And that is so that I mean, I've, I have chills right now, like because that is that's so real. That's what happens: is you yeah. break down and you completely don't know how to handle something, and you want your mom, and that's like that's what happens. And, and then so I, I and just, then it ends with Patty. In absolute exhaustion, yes, and relief, alone in the car after the kids are safe in the house and Rand safe in the hospital, breaking down herself, right? Which is a, which is really, really that whole that whole like that's like the last fifteen minutes or so of that episode. You're right, is just perfect in a way that's uncomfortably perfect, but it's yeah, and and completely plausible and real because yeah. that's you know that is the course of events that that is is i i don't know i just feel like a lot of a lot of the sort of messagey teenage show things but my suspension of disbelief is not that big right like mm-hmm. i have to i have to believe that this is actually a thing that could happen or i i'm i'm out yeah so. angela walking into the party and the all the stuff that happens does not feel contrived and right. so many times those episodes feel contrived or and this is something with, with with I see with Ricky and with all the other characters in the show. The things happen to characters who are not important to the central plot of the show. They happen to supporting characters or special guest stars or somebody. You know, mm-hmm. it's not Rayanne who these. It's um, it's Tina. some other girl. Yeah, right. you yes. know, some other girl at the party, and that's the lesson that everybody learns. And you know, um, and that's kind of what what kind of made the show. The show allowed bad things to happen to its main characters. Yes. And, and not and not in a sensationalist way no. to you know to just get ratings or to <laughs> to make yeah. it seem you know overly dramatic and yeah. and yeah it was go ahead and it also well it also took the characters that you would see as stereotypes and made them so three dimensional that you can't not feel something right so like Jordan even. Jordan and Ricky and Rayanne and these characters could uh, these characters at the beginning of the show they're all sort of tropes uh-huh and but by the end of the show they're all people and that you don't always get that with right 
with shows like this, especially especially not in one season, no. right? Like I don't I don't know how many times I've had people like recommend TV shows to me, and they'll be like, "Yeah, but the first season's really bad, so you just have to get through." And I'm just like, "Man, I don't know. I don't know if I can invest <laughs> that much time in a show that you say is not good just to get to the good part." You you watch the pilot episode, you're like, "How did this get bought?" Right. <laughs> when you're when your high water mark, my high water mark for a pilot episode is this show's pilot and Freaks and Geeks' pilot. I know I brought Freaks and Geeks up as well before, but those are the two most perfect pilots I have ever seen. Right. And you watch a show like the pilot of say Friends or Seinfeld, and it's good, but it's not there yet. And they obviously yeah. sold it on some sort of star power or something. Or you see the first episode of a of a similar teenage drama. Um, and it's all set up and everything in the same way. But you're right. It's like, you know, it's usually the second or third season of a good show that is where things start to meander a little too much, mm-hmm. at least on network TV. Yeah, these days. This um, this has been I have I have been prepping and, quote, researching for this this and the, the these two episodes for. Um, at least a few weeks now, rewatching uh-huh. the show, going on MSCL.com, which I mentioned a few times last episode and still cannot recommend enough, um, listening to some of the music and, and then scheduling all of you guys and talking to all of you guys. And and I've just had such a blast. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, th- thank you for taking the time to. to yeah, come no, on. absolutely. I'm so glad I could. Thank you for asking me to participate. It's um, it's something I never get tired of talking about. Like, obviously, we're on year twenty something. Yeah, God, <laughs> twenty, twenty years. Um, but really, for for everybody here, I mean, it's been it's been so great and talking to everybody. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but but you know. I had a time. I mean, don't you think? Of, did we? Did we not? Did we or did we not have a time? We had a time. 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 We did. We had a time. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness. And dance by the light of the moon